you can be the best version of what you want to be while you're here without being told what version that has to be. Track and field world, UNL tuned in to our humble servant, Mike Cunningham, for another extraordinary message on Gill Athletics Connections. All right, welcome back here. Season five of the Gill Athletics Trek and Field Connections podcast. We are continuing to do this. We're continuing to have coaches from around the country, around the world sometimes uh, here on the podcast. We're super excited to just continue bringing you value, continue uplifting, honoring coaches around the country. And uh, we're excited about this one. This is one of those, you know, if you've listened to a few episodes here, you know, there's some guests that come on. I've known them for years and decades, maybe even have coached with them back in uh, one of those former lives of mine. And then there's other coaches that actually are kind of a little bit of my more favorite ones. They're ones that I actually don't know or don't know all that well. And uh, it gives me a good chance to get to know them. So I'm super excited today. Uh, help me welcome the head coach from Heidelberg University, the wise, the wonderful Mr. Bill Cooper. Bill, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. We're uh, finished finals last week. So getting a chance to kind of relax and recharge. And we're going to learn, you used to be one of those kids in finals at Heidelberg. A uh, little um, spoiler alert, we got an alum here, which I <laughs> love that. I wanted to bring that up right off the bat because I truly do have a just a soft spot in my heart for alums coaching at their alma mater. It, it's something that's just so precious to me. When you go to recruit and you're telling a recruit how great the school is and, you know, this and that, you lived it. <laughs> you're not just there because you got a paycheck and you're there. You've lived the undergrad experience there at Heidelberg, man. So that's really cool. I love that very, very much. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it's even funny because some of the kids that are on the team now actually have some professors that I had back in the day. I graduated in 96. So we have the conversation all the time. Coaches say it all the time. I've been in your shoes. Well, I've literally <laughs> have had a chance to be in their shoes in the same class with some of the same professors. So it's been kind of surreal to a certain extent to be able to come back to the alma mater. Um, but actually my roommate from college sent me a text the first week I was on campus back here working. And he's like, well, what's it like to be back in your office and back there recruiting? And it was nine o'clock and it was a Tuesday night and it was the first week of May. I can, I still remember it was like, no one was around. And that text came through and the first word that popped in my head was just surreal. Like I hadn't given it a whole lot of thought up until that point, but it was just surreal that I was actually back here doing the job for a place that was so important for me way mm -hmm. back in the day. So we, um, I'm kind of jumping, not, not jumping around, but I'm kind of jumping ahead here. We're going to backtrack here in a second, but I was wondering, cause I'm trying to think of my own alma mater. So I went to Troy university and mm -hmm. when I go back on campus and I graduated in 2000, so not far off of where you were and, uh, it's different. Like even where I lived is no longer there. It's now an academic building, which trust me, I did not live in an academic building. Um, you know, some of the athletic facilities are upgrade. I mean, it's just, it's almost like a whole new campus. Did you experience that when you came back and it's like, oh man, that, uh, that over there, that's where uh, science used to be. And now it's a mm -hmm. parking lot or, you know, this is where my dorm is. And now it's a basketball arena. Well, it's been fun. Cause a lot of there's a lot of the same stuff is here that was here 30 years ago. Um, with a lot of upgrades over the years, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of new places, some new dorms, new housing options that we didn't have back in the day when I was here. Um, but just 
all the changes and all of the similarities, the thing that kind of really got me when I was back on campus for the interview, and even since I've been back here working, is just the personality of the place has kind of stayed the same. Like mm-hmm. the town, the personality has stayed the same. The people yeah. on campus has kind of stayed the same. So I don't know if that's kind of somewhere like that you've experienced too when you've gone back to your alma mater. Yeah. But it was, you, you still had that, it felt familiar mm-hmm. kind of thing. Whenever you take a new job and you go somewhere else, you understand like the ins and outs of what you're supposed to do, but it always is a little bit different. Hmm. And I'm far enough removed from Heidelberg as a student athlete that coming back, I don't have that like shock hmm. that sometimes kids have when they graduate and then they turn around and they start working right for their school. They're like, oh, wait a minute. I didn't know this is how things worked. Right. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm you're far just... enough away from it now. I think you're describing culture. The culture of the school mm-hmm, still fits from when you were there. And that's what yep. attracted you, attracted it to you, I assume, will learn uh, as an undergrad and now back as a, uh, a professional in this a sport as well. So, yeah, I had actually chose to come to Heidelberg before I talked to a single coach when I was in high school. Really? Um, I was bio pre med. And the strange thing that's going to sound odd that sold me on the school is they had a cadaver lab <laughs> on campus. <laughs> So, but a small division three school in Ohio that had that as an opportunity for an undergrad student to get a, get your hands on right away. That was, that was really cool for me. And that was one of the reasons that I ended up deciding to come to school here. And then once I decided some of my buddies in high school were talking about going to college and playing sports. And I'm like, Hmm, I wonder if that's going to be a possibility. So I reached out to the soccer coach because I'd played soccer since I was four. And I reached out to the track coach because I started running track in middle school and ended up getting a chance to play both while I was here in college, while I was still a bio student, um, played soccer all four years, ran track all four years, uh, had a little bit of a different track career because I was a distance runner growing up through high school. And then I ended up being a sprinter, 400 runner, primarily in college. Um, So it was interesting kind of to see how that all changed. But well, let's back up. Uh, we got a little bit of prehistory. That's good. I love that. That'll, that actually really helps a guy like me who you know has to set up these questions. That's awesome. So let's talk about that high school career, Bill. You mentioned uh, kind of soccer guy all your life and then track yep. guy from middle school and on. Talk to us a little bit about um, both and, but you know, obviously we stay a little bit more focused on the track side here. What was your high school career like? And what I don't mean necessarily, you know, PRs and stuff. You mentioned you're a distance runner, things like that. But what was like the relationship of you and coach? Um, were you, it doesn't sound like based off of what we know, you went into major Heidelberg. It doesn't sound like coaching was necessarily uh, a path for you at that time. <laughs> but where was coaching at in your mind during this uh, athletic career, high school athletic so- career? So growing up in high school, um, to be perfectly honest, I did track to just stay in shape for soccer mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. And it was something I was decent at. I wasn't great. Um, worked hard, had some good friends, and we ran and had fun with it. Uh, grew up, was a Columbus public school kid, Columbus, Ohio. Went to Northland High School, uh, played soccer all four years, did a bunch of things. And then senior year, because I was a distance runner for the track season, didn't really have an indoor season way back then. Um, so it was just kind of unorganized during the winter season until we got into the spring. And then my senior year, the cross country coach came to me and said, Bill, we need somebody else to run because we don't think we're going to have enough to field a team. So like, but I'm in soccer. And so we kind of had the conversation that I could still play soccer, go to all the soccer practices. But if there was a cross country race that didn't conflict with soccer, then I would run in those. 
Um, so I ended up doing that my senior year, ran cross country, played soccer, somehow managed to balance both at the same time while I was in the marching band, symphonic band, all the other stuff. And I, the traditional college or cross country track kid that gets over involved in too many things. Um, <laughs> uh, but then, so I kind of finished out my senior year, had talked to the coaches at Heidelberg, uh, decided to come play soccer. And then my freshman year, there was a new track coach that got hired here. Uh, Larry Brown actually just got inducted this past fall into our hall of fame, uh, here at Heidelberg. So it was really fun. Um, he didn't know anybody from anybody. So we were sitting in his office and he's, well, what, what's your background? What's your history? And I kind of looked at him and said, oh, like, we're going to pretend I never ran track before. I said, well, why? I said, cause I don't want you to make me an 800 runner or a distance runner. <laughs> so I had enough of that. I think I, I, I want to go somewhere different. So we kind of talked it through. And we settled on, I thought the 400 would be the area that I was going to be best at um, and ended up working out for me pretty well. I made it to nationals a couple of times. Um, oh. Senior year was an All-American Division III. Um, but, you know, at, at the crux of it is a lot of the way I coach now is he gave us the opportunity to do things. Um, we worked really hard and I worked super hard because I wasn't going to let him make me an 800 runner, uh, <laughs> which he really wanted me to be. Um but then once I graduated with my undergrad, I really, I decided along the way I wasn't going to go to med school because that had been the plan all through high school, all through college. And I made the decision. I didn't feel like that was the direction I needed to go and um, moved to Dayton, was in grad school there and had a friend that coached over at Wilmington College, uh, Ron Combs, who's still the head coach oh, there now. Um, he was actually a, an assistant coach at Heidelberg my sophomore year and me and his brother raced against each other in college. Um, so I went over and kind of helped Ron part-time coaching, uh, for about a year or so, year and a half, um, got out of it a little bit just because of time constraints and was miserable. Didn't know why at the time, but I was miserable. Let's pause. Uh, let's pause there. First of all, I yeah. love that you. I did not know your uh, history involved Ron Combs. Love him to death. That's awesome. Uh, go back to high school before you went into mm -hmm. Heidelberg. There, you, you know, we we really like to kind of uh, dissect coaches and what makes one not make what not what makes one coach successful, another one non successful, because they're all successful in regards to positively impacting young people. Mm -hmm. You had a pretty unique. Uh, experience there so you were coached by one coach in soccer you were yep. coached by a different person in track maybe a different person in cross country or were those two the yep. same yep. okay uh you mentioned band and things like that and you know band director is <laughs> very much like a coach uh, you know i know it's not necessarily in our track and field wheelhouse but you know my, my son's doing band now in middle school and i watch how they interact and i'm oh, like yeah. oh man uh you take away the drums and tell them repeat 400s or something it's no different it's a coach what they're doing here <laughs> What was, what was your experience with their coaching style? You know, there's some coaches that are more authoritarian, author, author, uh, yelling and bossy. I don't know how to, I'm from Alabama. I can't say, what is that word? Um, authoritarian. Thank you very much. That's there a, we go. There that's we a Heidelberg go. grad versus a Troy I'm grad right you. there. Yeah, that was good. Uh, some are more collaborative, um, mm -hmm. you know, coming alongside you. How were your coaches and which one did you kind of maybe more be attracted to? You know, like, oh, I kind of liked when it was coach was hard on me or when coach was, you know, nice to Bill. <laughs> See, I, I think over the course of like middle school, high school, all of the coaches that I had, I mean, different personalities, different sports, even, I mean, you, you look at a team sport versus 
the quote unquote individual sport, there's going to be some differences in just the overarching way that you're coached. Um, I think at the end of the day, they were all authentic mm. in their own different ways. Um, my soccer coach um, was not an American coach in high school. He had come from, and I can't even remember the country that he was from, um, but he brought a different style and a different perspective to the way the team play, was played during soccer. Um, and all of it at the end of the day for them was, you know, hard work, you know, do your job, kind of work hard, work as a team, work as a unit, um, you know, and, and good things will happen. And our soccer team in high school was really, really good in the Columbus public schools. Um, and, and in track, we had multiple coaches during the track team. Um, Al Simpson was the head coach. Um, Tom was the distance coach. He worked with cross country too. Steve Call was the cross country coach uh, for um, Northland. Um, and then we had a couple of assistant coaches that the names are escaping me right now. Um, but at the end of the day, it was the same kind of thing. Like it was, you were valued as a person and you were supported that way um, to try to improve and do the best you can. It wasn't necessarily results driven, so to speak, uh, as, as it was, you know, supportive, uh, more of a supportive kind of an environment, um, you know, putting you in positions to try to succeed and try to improve and try to, you know, do your best um, for whatever the best means, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, it, it's a little different. We had some varying degrees of kids that were on the team, had some really, really good kids that ended up going division one soccer or track wise and soccer wise. We had some, you know, division three kids along the way uh, and some kids that were just stoked for the free gear and to be able to participate and be part of something. Um, so kind of to be able to balance all of those different things in high school is looking back at it now, like that, that's really impressive that as a high school coach, cause you have so many different responsibilities mm -hmm. to so many different kids right. um, to be able to balance that in a way that it was a positive experience for me. Um, and I think I got into coaching because of, you know, track in the way that Larry was really supportive of the program because my freshman year, we were really bad yeah. <laughs> here at Heidelberg. A so. lot of, a lot of sympathy for high school coaches, a lot of empathy, I should say for high school oh, coaches, yeah. you, you nailed it. You, you, I've always talked about, you know, they are also teachers, typically uh, spouses, family, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, Oh, and by the way, in coach track and maybe coach another sport along the way as yeah. well, you broke it down really well, actually bill there uh, on the team itself. You've got kids who, you know, are, you know, really serious and dedicated about it. You got guys like me that were like, Hey man, do I get a shirt? That's awesome. Let's go. Uh, and, and all <laughs> everything in between. How do you, manage that with the yeah. amount of events that we have by the way they're understaffed right. etc so that, that was that was really good when you, you you mentioned you went to Heidelberg without even visiting why Heidelberg and why it doesn't sound like coaching was necessary it sounded like you were on the medical path you're going to become Dr. Mm -hmm. Cooper yep. here yep. Um, what made you choose Heidelberg what made you choose Heidelberg without even going there and why why becoming a doctor is, it, is this a family thing what was your your, your thought process there it's one of those things that grow up growing up as a kid wanted to be a doctor mm -hmm. and kind of through high school wanted to be a doctor. And here in Ohio, um, Kent State, Akron and Youngstown had a accelerated undergrad program for med school. And you went through your four years and two, and then you went on to med school for four years. And it was always an intriguing opportunity. Um, there was actually a girl that graduated a year or two ahead of me from Heidelberg that got into that program. So I kind of had an idea of what it was. Uh, but it was super selective. I think they only took 50 new people at each of the three schools each year. 
into the program, but it was also a very, very strenuous program. Um, I got accepted into one of the three. I can't remember which one of the schools I got accepted into, but I would have started college literally a week to the day after I graduated from high school. <laughs> and I'm like, yep, I want to be a doctor, but I don't know that I want to be a doctor like in June after <laughs> I graduated high school. Um, and as I was doing my college search, I ran into, you know, the big college fairs and Heidelberg College was one of the schools that was there at the time. And I still remember the admissions counselor, Megan Lemon, who was there, very personable, great to talk to, lots of phone calls, lots of conversations. I visited campus, loved the campus. And on our way home back to Columbus, I knew this was where I was going to end up going to school. Um, but then as my senior year kind of progressed, that was where kind of sports like, mm, I wonder if I can make this work. Um, cause it, it had never really been anything that I had thought about much up until that point. So, <laughs> but just the feel of the people on campus, it was like a genuine feel. People were excited to talk to you. People you could tell were engaged in what they were doing, cared about what they were, were doing and who they were doing it with and for, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it, it was not a giant lecture hall taught by a grad assistant that was just there getting a degree and you're in a classroom with 400 other kids. I, I was smart enough to know I was a good student, but to go to a big school like Ohio State or any of the schools of that size was not going to end up well for me. Mm. <laughs> I didn't I, I didn't want to get lost in the shuffle, I guess. And you, you did the opposite of what is the more traditional track path. Uh, I used to joke, you know, everybody moves up a level in college. If you were a sprinter, you're now a mid-distance runner, mid-distance or distance. And, you know, eventually, you know, high school two mothers, I guess, automatically go to the marathon. Eventually you keep growing, you know, keep going up. You're just yep, going to keep yep. going. And the poor shot putters, too bad. You just stay a shot putter. Uh, and if you're a guy, you move up four pounds of it and girls just keep the 4K. You yep. went the opposite. What? Mm -hmm. Why? I guess my first question is, why didn't you do that in high school? Why weren't you sprinting in high school? Because it obviously you talk about being a D3 All-American for credit. This obviously worked out here. Uh, it, you know, every distance coach right now is going, yeah, but think how good he would have been in the 800. That's what every, oh, yeah, that's what every distance coach is thinking. But why, why didn't that happen in high school? Why didn't you sprint in high school? And how, and how did you have the fortitude to tell coach, yeah, coach, I'm not sure the 800. We need to start with the 400. Let's go there. That's, that's a pretty... I don't want to say that's a very chutzpah uh, comment for uh -huh. 18 year old to yep. make to a coach. Yep. So I, I think it goes back to, I didn't do it in high school for track. If that makes sense. I, I was Why, viewing, I, I don't know. I, for whatever reason, I enjoyed what I was doing, but I wasn't necessarily as passionate about okay. doing it because I had done soccer for so long. My ad identity started at four years old right. with soccer. Uh, so I had just always connected to that with yeah, soccer you're, and track a, with something a, else that I did. You're a soccer guy doing track. Yeah. In high yeah. school I was mm -hmm. absolutely. I was. Um, but then when I got to college and I was always the fastest one on the soccer team, like I knew, so I knew I had some speed. I knew I was fast. I knew I had good endurance from playing 90 minute games. Um, and, and it was a want to, I think more than anything, it was a mentality change. Um, I ran a couple four by fours in high school. I ran, you know, an open one here and there, but it was not, I was more like the four by eight, 800 uh, was kind of the direction that coaches always put me in. Cause there was more of the need, I guess there 
to fill spots in the mile, two mile, whatever. It, it varied from meet to meet. Um, but for me, the mentality really changed when I got to college. Um, it was, I was excited to try the 400 or sprinting, I guess, long sprints more specifically, um, than anything. And my coach, I think Larry, he recognized, okay, well, let's give it a try. So it was more of a collaborative experience than it was, you know, you're going to do what I'm going to tell you you're going to do. And you're not going to be on the team if you decide you wanted to do otherwise. Um, he tried a, a number of times to get me to be more of an 800 guy. Um, but <laughs> it, it was, I, I had enough, I think, in high school of that. And I just didn't have that same zeal, that same passion for it uh, as I did for the 400. And even for me, the, my favorite event was indoors. We did the 500 in our conference in the OAC. Um, and, and I was just crazy enough to like the 500 more than anything else because I had the conditioning from soccer. So I had, and I had the speed. So the 800 guys that would come down and run the 500, I usually had a little bit more speed than they did. Um, and then for the sprinters that would move up to the 500, I usually had a little bit more of it in endurance because the soccer background. So that was kind of my, that was my favorite indoor race, the 500. And it just was different. It just was different. How how do you think coach, because there's a delicate balance and you know, now you can look back and have perspective on this. You were an 18 year old, so you mm -hmm. certainly probably uh, didn't want able to see it right in front of you, but coach, like he had some choices there, right? So mm -hmm. there's, it seems right. like he took right. the very collaborative fork in the road. Um, but coach also has a responsibility of like, okay, I know this kid wants to sprint, but man, he can be a really good half mile or even miler. How do I, you know, I, my job is to make him the best for the team. How do I get him to go here? He really wants to go here. <laughs> you, you know, now you look back and you've coached many, many kids mm -hmm. throughout the yep. time now, yep. and maybe have had that situation where kids come yep. in and said, yeah, coach, I know you think I'm an 800 meter runner, but I'm really a, uh, a shot putter or what, you know, something crazy. And you're like, all right, well, gosh, the, you know, coach took a chance on me. I got to at least take a chance. Mm -hmm. How do you think he handled that? The responsibility of, I've, I've been doing this for a while. I want to do what's best for you, but okay. You know, I do believe in a collaboration relationship between coach and athlete here as well. I think so. My freshman year, the team at Heidelberg was not very good. It was not very big, um, very small roster size, very, very limited in the number of athletes that we had that were competing. And I think if I were to jump into his psyche, he probably was looking at it more of, I need to keep kids on the team. So we're going to, allow them to have some input possibly or he saw in practices how practices went he's like okay maybe he's not off his rocker this might be something that he could excel in um i always tend to joke if it's one of my cross-country kids comes in and says hey coach i really want to be a shot putter we're going to sit down and we're going to discuss some of your life choices because this isn't the first bad one you've made uh <laughs> <laughs> that's good that's good let's talk about life in general because you obviously right, are right. making some other mistakes here <laughs> right right so so in over the years like you've hit the you hit the nail on the head i've had kids that have come in that have said coach i really want to do this and we have a conversation about it and we're like okay we're going to give it a try usually freshman year is the time that we let them kind of experiment a little bit more than any other time or when it's my first year taking over a program mm -hmm. um but then we kind of start to build that understanding. Here's what we want to do as a program. Here's what you want to do as an athlete. How do we find a way to get on that common ground? 
Uh, and sometimes we'll have that conversation where I'll, I'll see something that somebody's going to be great at and we'll have that talk. Like, how about we do this? And sometimes they're all in like, absolutely. I'm on, I'm on board coach. Other times like, mm, yeah, that's, that's not the direction that I want to go. So sometimes being division three guy, my whole career has been at division three. Sometimes it's about the experience mm-hmm. and I know from personal experience that if it's something that I'm excited to do, I'm more than well, likely going to work harder at it. So if I see that you're going to be better at one event that I think you could be a national champion, but you don't have any desire at that, it's going to cause a lot of issues and friction along the way. Mm -hmm. Whereas we can focus on where your thoughts are and just maximize as much out of that experience as we can. And do we leave a little bit on the table sometimes? Probably. But I think the overall culture is better. The overall experience, not just for that athlete, but for everybody Mm -hmm. is sometimes a little bit better. Um, But you're going to have a lot of those kids. And I've had a lot of those kids over the years that have bought all in. And I had one kid when I was coaching at Colby was a state champ in the hurdles. It was a decent hurdler. He was just stupid fast. Um, And we sat down and we were talking about what his goals were. And he said he wanted to be an All-American. I said, well, if that's what you want to do, we're going to quit hurdling. And I was really young in my career. And um, Xavier looked at me. He's like, what do you mean? And so we kind of talked through it. He's like, okay, I I buy in. Uh, And he ended up being a national qualifier, All-American in the 400. Still, I think, has the school record to this day. Was a national qualifier, All-American, I think, in triple jump, (laughs) long jump. Um, But to have that conversation as a young coach back then, I was like, I think you could be really, really good at these things as opposed to wanting to do something because you were really good at it in Mm -hmm. high school. Um, But yeah, I think those are always difficult but fun conversations to have, especially when the kids buy in, you know, you can tell the ones that are like, Oh yeah, absolutely. I I just want to be the best that I can be. Yeah. You know, the, one of the many superpowers of coaches is being able to see something in others before they can see in themselves. And so to be able to identify that uh, the issue that we have sometimes now we're talking about the coach down, like you gave that example there, Colby, some of the problems that we have sometimes is we, we make our identity around something that is very superfluous. See, there's another word I can't superfluous. <laughs> superfluous. I got this one. Uh, you, you know, he had a, his identity around hurdling at first. Right. And right. then when it was like, oh, okay, you, if that's your real goal, then here, here's the path. That, you know, as a coach, mm-hmm. I can see us yep. taking. He had to break off that, oh, I'm a hurdler and put a different identity. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, I'm a track athlete, triple jump, 400, et cetera. Yeah. Here with you uh, going into Heidelberg, this was a little bit less coach seeing something in you before you could see it in yourself, this is a little bit more of the betting on yourself. This was a little bit of like, all right, I, mm-hmm. I, I think I can be a sprinter here. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I'd like to try that. And he probably also had a little bit, you know, we're also putting ourselves in other, someone else's shoes here. He probably ha- also had a little bit of the like, okay, we'll go ahead and try that. And if it doesn't work, by the way, that's still going to help you out for that half mile that I really think mm-hmm. you should be running. <laughs> you know, oh, so yeah, absolutely. like I'll just, I'll just wait Bill out. We'll get him over to the half mile. <laughs> and then you got too Absolutely. good. And it was like, all right, well, we're, we're going to stick to the quarter. <laughs> as you ended your career there at Heidelberg, as an All-American, by the way, bravo, um, seemed like, I believe you said something like, yeah, I realized maybe I didn't want to be a doctor. I didn't want to now go yep. into you know, medical school, et cetera. So you go down. So how did you, you mentioned Ron was coaching at Heidelberg. So you knew Ron that way. Is that how you mm-hmm. got down to Wilmington yeah. to start helping out? Yeah, Ron was here my sophomore year at Heidelberg as an assistant coach for Larry. Um, and then he moved back to his alma mater at Wilmington. 
um, to take over as an assistant and ultimately ended up being the head coach. And they needed somebody after I graduated that, that would be able to come over and help out with uh, their sprinters a little bit. And so he asked me if I'd be interested in come over helping out. And I did that for about a year uh, with him. What were you thinking career-wise here, though? Seems like you're 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 Honestly, done. I'm, like, I'm not no going to be a doctor. It doesn't really sound like yeah. I was gonna say it doesn't really sound like you're committed <laughs> to being a coach. You're kind of uh, in this fluid moment here. I I was really trying to figure out a whole lot of life at that point. I graduated my first full-time job. Um, I was working in retail after I graduated as I was going to grad school, and then I moved over. I uh, was working in children's services uh, in a foster home. Um, wow here in Ohio, uh, working with uh, juvenile boys that had been awarded to the state, uh, a little bit of social work. So I did that for a couple of years. I did personal training off and on a little bit along the way. Um, but at the, I, I think at the end of the day, it was always just helping people. Like mm-hmm. it, that's the one thing, like when I sit down and I kind of look through everything, it was always kind of being able to help, whether it's mentor, whether it's steer, whether it's correct, whatever. Um, people kind of along the way um but yeah I, I i kind of fell into coaching and once i got out of being a part-time coach with ron i was doing personal training for about six months uh but something just was missing and i wasn't quite sure what it was and there was a coaching convention up in buffalo uh beginning of one summer and i went up and went through that came back from that and I'm like, okay, yep, this is what I want to do. I think it was the, one of the USATF level ones. It was like the three or four day thing. I went up, came back. I'm like, yep, this is what I want to do. Uh, threw out a bunch of what happened. I mean, something had to have happened either. It it was kind of, I I think I figured out that's what I wanted to do. I I found I was passionate about it. It was something that I really enjoyed it. It meant a lot to me and who I was through mm-hmm. college, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and, and it was reconnecting those dots, I guess, going up to the convention, being surrounded by people that yeah, this that's is what they wanted to like-minded do. Like-minded people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I had never really even thought about that as a career because way back then in the 90s, like the GA thing that exists now wasn't much of a thing at all. Right. So graduating as an undergrad and then going on to get a master's and being able to coach I think it existed, but I don't think nearly to the level that it does now. So that was an opportunity that I didn't even know <laughs> I could turn into a full-time career, I think, coming out of college um, to the point that I do now, that I look back, I'm like, oh, wow. Isn't that interesting? You go to this clinic convention up in Buffalo, you could have easily not gone Mm-hmm. To that, I mean, like easily, like oh no, I need to go. I got another personal training session, or I'm just gonna chill at home for the weekend for crying out loud. And yet, that sets you on this path. Like now we're on the now we're oh, starting yeah. to go on the path here. We've actually kind of we see all these paths in front of us, and now it is narrowed down. Like okay, I see this one path here. Mm-hmm. Yep, I was trying to see if I had the level one certificate still up on my wall uh, oh, to see man. what year it was, but I think yeah. it was ninety nine summer of 2000 um i I think that's when kind of the light bulb went off this is what i want to do uh and then i started applying for any jobs that i could find because the nca market didn't exist back then to the point that it does now Uh, i found out uh, hartwick college was looking for a full-time assistant upstate new york kind of between binghamton and albany division three school um they were looking for a full-time assistant i 
been in all my application and ended up getting interviewed there, I uh, was offered the job. So I was stoked to go to Oneonta, New York for $10,000 for the entire year. Um, and it was probably one of the most fun first full-time jobs I've ever had because there were just two coaches, three coaches. We had a football coach that worked with our throwers, but Joe Dombrowski uh, was the head cross country and track coach, um, took a chance, hired me, didn't have a ton of experience. Um, you know, we had a chance. We I was only there for the year, uh, but we had some really, really good kids that we worked through. I remember shoveling the track in the middle of winter in New York up there because we didn't have an indoor track. Or we drove up to Cooperstown and ran on some banks, 150 jogging track. Uh, you just we, we just made do with what we had and made the most of it. You know? So what's that like, your first first coaching job? You volunteered down at Wilmington, but this is your first, you know, I almost hesitate to call it paid. Uh, <laughs> you got some uh, quarters to, to be there. Yeah. Yep. Uh, you know, it's it's one thing to be an athlete. It's one thing to be an athlete who knows they want to be a coach, which is not your situation. But even those people, it's still different. Even though you're you're paying attention to coaching a little different when you know you want to be a coach, you 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 didn't have that path. But now you are in the coach's seat. So you're writing mm-hmm. workouts, administrating on administrating them, um, you know, correcting, encouraging. What was it like that first time, that first, uh, you know, I, I, I kind of like visually think of like, okay, here's your whistle, even though most of us don't use whistles or anything. I still remember my first coaching job, my, my head coach, like whips a whistle over to me, like, you know, I was 20 yards away. I remember catching it and just like one continuous motion right back to him. I was like, yeah, I'm loud enough. I, I don't need a whistle. Uh, but I kind of think of that, like, you know, here's your whistle. You're officially a coach. Mm-hmm. How was that? you're on a different side. You're not an athlete anymore. You're not a volunteer. You are assistant coach Cooper here. What was that experience like? Eye opening. Mm. I think, um, you don't sometimes I think understand like what it go, what goes into planning, not just a single workout for a single person, but managing all of the ins and outs of working with a program. Um, you know, whether it's writing workouts, setting up recruiting calls, um, you know, the number of hats that we wear daily, admissions counselors, academic counselors, just counselors in general, um, you know, dealing with everything on a day-to-day basis. And then the administrative side of things, you know, putting in the expense reports and making sure you have buses and vans and food and everything right. else. Um, and especially for me coming up to New York where I'd never been before, mm-hmm. you know, coaching at any of these competitions like i knew i you'd hear of some of the schools along the way uh but going to these new meets with new coaches and new athletes and it was an experience eye-opening i guess experience hmm. um where every day it was something new that we were dealing with um that i was dealing with specifically so i really just tried to sit down and learn as much as i could every day whether it was okay what are we doing this workout for why are we doing this so that way what i figured is when the kids would ask me why are we doing this? If I didn't have an answer, you're going to lose them at that point. They're not going to want to listen anymore. Um, they're not, they're not going to think you know anything. So you want to make sure that when you're saying something and you're conveying, whether it's the workout or it's, it's a rep in the weight room or why are we doing these exercises? You really wanted to make sure that as, as a young coach, I understood the why to it. Um, so it wasn't just, well, because I was told this is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah. You know, so 
you know, I think that was the big thing, but kind of back to the crux of, you know, just everything is I, I just wanted to, I loved what I was doing because I was actually getting a chance to do something that was, you know, really fun for me in college um, and, and help other people kind of learn and grow and, you know, okay, you're at a meet, you're super anxious. How do I, how did I deal with it? How are mm -hmm. some things, you know, kind of not necessarily being the best coach in the world, but trying to be the most supportive person I could be to help them to be able to achieve, achieve what they want to do. In, in real life, not coaching life. Uh, when <laughs> There's we... another life outside of coaching. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, that's what I, I need more coaches to realize. Exactly right, Bill. When we start going into the professional world, uh, maybe we work retail. So we get a little taste of retail and maybe we don't mm -hmm. necessarily like running a cash register, but we go, oh, wow, I do love the environment of retail. Maybe I could mm -hmm. be a you know, store manager or regional managers, et cetera. Uh, or we go work into restaurant and maybe we don't like necessarily being a waiter, but we like, oh man, I love uh, what, what restaurant um, industry is. So I'm going to go into that industry. When we get into coaching, um, it's rare, my experience, that someone does a year of coaching and says, oh, yeah, you know, it's okay. This is, I, I can't see myself doing it 40 years. They just all of a sudden wake up and they've been in the, the industry for 40 years. Uh, it just seems to always go. Like you just kind of, yeah. you, you get, you, you look past all the uh, sometimes negative sides of, of the profession. Uh, some of that being pay, by the way. Um, other being, <laughs> other being paperwork. We're not all, pay, you know, I, mm -hmm. I've i yet to meet a coach who told me they got into coaching because they loved the administrative side. Some, some learn to love the administrative side, but very few say, oh yeah, I want to coach track. Not because mm -hmm. I want to be out in the sand pit because I want to be in the office turning in grade reports and call logs and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we, we tend to like overcome those things and continue on because we love mm -hmm. the sport. We love working with young people and we love uh, you know, the actual coaching impact of it. Did you, you said eye-opening, which I love, that's a really good descriptor because you start talking about all the other things, not just the call it two hours that you're on the track. Um, right. Was there ever a time during that year where you're like, because you, you had an easy out. It was just your first year. Mm -hmm. You yeah. had other experiences in, in, a, in a hefty degree here. So there's like easily like, okay, I, I'll just go over here in this industry, healthcare, mm -hmm. uh, teaching or something else. Was there any time during that first year where it was like, oh yeah, you know, this is great. This is fun, but nah, this ain't me. Uh, or was it like the, the, the Spider-Man bug bit you and you're like, oh yeah, no, no, I'm, I am coach Cooper. I'm no longer bill anymore. I yeah. am coach Cooper. <laughs> You know, absolutely. I think it you as early as that convention, that clinic mm. that I went to, like I went to that when I came home from that, I knew. I wow. knew this was this was where I needed to go and what I needed to do. Um, you know, not because I was trying to be like the best coach ever mm -hmm. coaching, um, but it it just felt like the direction that I could have the most impact with people along the way. Um, you know, it's good, bad, indifferent, whatever you know, you, you go through as a coach. Uh, but I think at the end of the day, it's, I, I'm a people person, um, in, in being able to work with the thing that I really enjoy. And I tell the kids all the time, no matter what my day is, practice is the best part of my day. Hmm. Like I'm still a little kid when it comes to practice, like I bounce around, I hop around, I'll do wickets or whatever with them every once in a while, just to show them that I'm old and I can still do it. Um, but, you know, that that's the the best part of my day because that's when we get to interact the most with the kids. It's mm. it, it's my home. It's my happy place, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think at the end of the day, what it comes down to is just the new faces that come through all the time. And I can see different personalities because this is 25 years, I think, of doing this at this point. Um, 
different faces and different names, but the same personality for kids that I've coached 20 years ago. Like, oh, I had a kid that was just like you. <laughs> and, like, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? I'm like, hmm, we'll let you know. You're like, and he's your dad because I've been coaching that long. <laughs> what, um, before we go where do you went next, I'm curious, you, you described your identity as a, a, a soccer player who ran track. Mm-hmm. Why, why track over soccer? You, you could have gone into soccer coaching. I think it's because of what I saw Coach Brown, Larry, uh, do with the track program when I was here. Um, it went from really, really small my freshman year. The amount of, you know, himself and his family that he poured into the program, uh, and then the improvement that I saw over the program uh, during my four years, and I think they won a conference championship two or three years after I graduated. Uh, I think just the impact that he made and the belief, I think more than anything, that he had in me. To be able to do something uh, really resonated uh, versus, you know, I identified as a soccer player forever. And I even had a chance to play during college. And after I graduated from college, I still continued to play some. Um, And Coach Haley was the soccer coach. He was also here at Heidelberg for a long, long time. Uh, He was just at one of the soccer games this past fall. And we had a chance to catch up. And I mean, he was a great coach. He had great teams. Um, and, and I love my experience in the soccer program, but I think there was just something that kind of struck a chord with me with track mm-hmm. and more the, the individual relationship as opposed to the team dynamic. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though we are still a team, uh, it's, it's a lot of the team is developed and built on everybody, not yeah. just you know, you can have a star point guard on the basketball team and you're going to have a great team. Right. You know, or you, know, you got a star quarterback that wins all the games for you guys. You know, it, it is so much individualized mm-hmm. that a lot of kids sometimes shy away from mm-hmm. with our sport. Um, but it, it just the belief, I think, is really the big thing that Larry had in us to improve and be the best version of ourselves. <laughs> during our time on the team here. I think that's, that's, that's really what propelled me, I think, into the track. Cause I was also an assistant soccer coach for a while at my next stop after Hartwick. Um, so yeah, I'm always, yeah, I'm always curious about that. You know, I was a football player slash track athlete in high school. And when I went to call the local high school to volunteer and I ended up being an assistant coach, but um, I never even thought about coaching or calling the football coach. I don't know why I was, I was actually probably, li- yeah. I'm probably a little bit better football player than track athlete. Cause I was a really bad track athlete. Um, <laughs> but, I, and so I, and I wasn't like, a I wasn't one of these guys that, you know, well, back then we only had really had runners world. You know, I didn't read like every magazine. I wasn't like mm-hmm. so invested in track. I just didn't have the genetics. I didn't have the genetics and wasn't all that, you know, crazy about track and field, but loved football. I grew up in Alabama. So, you know, I was by law, oh. I had to. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> but I remember when I called De La Salle high school, it was not even remotely in my head of like, Oh, I'll call the head football coach and just see if they need a help helper two days a week. So that's what I was calling the track coach for. Like, Oh, do you, just, you know, two days a week. That's what, you know, my day's off from work. Do you need a helper? Uh, never crossed my mind. And now I look back, you know, after 20, you know, 30 years ago. And I think, Oh man, what if I'd have called the football coach? Like, I could be one of these fired football coaches for millions of dollars a year. Like, man, I maybe maybe I asked for the wrong extension instead of you know. I don't know. Never know. Never know. Uh, Okay, so you do New York, Aniana, uh, New York, one year. Yep. Yep. Where and why do we go somewhere next? 
So Holby College up yeah. in Maine. Maine. Um, and then, yep. Um, I was at another coaching clinic that summer between jobs. So it was 2000, 2001. I was at Hartwick. They had some budget cuts. So they cut some of the assistant coaches out of the budget. I was at level two St. <laughs> Thomas. Now they didn't save very much by cutting that assistant coach yeah, right, spot right. now. That's a little lots uh, more on there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was at a level two clinic over in yeah. St. Thomas, over in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of folks were there who had connections with Colby, knew they were looking for an assistant coach. And so again, after that, I reached out to the coaches at Colby, um, Deb and Jim. Westcott um, had been there forever and literally flew from St. Thomas back to Ohio to my parents' house, drove up to New York, dropped my stuff like two days later, drove all the way over to Maine, uh, interviewed, and it was kind of the end of the month. They interviewed me and said, well, we'll let you know. And I kind of looked at him. I said, well, how soon are you going to let me know? Because my rent, my, my, rent is up at the end of the month. I'm either moving back to Ohio or to wherever my next job's going to be. Um, so they're like, well, how soon do you have to leave? I'm like I drove, I can leave whenever. <laughs> so ended up getting offered the job, um, was an assistant coach at Colby, was there for three and a half years. Um, start, I was an assistant soccer coach and track coach to kind of make it a little bit more of a full-time gig. Uh, while I was there and had a ball because, I mean, obviously they're two of my sports that I was involved with forever, um, was the head JV soccer coach for the men's program at Colby. Uh, so that was fun getting a chance to, you know, work with some of those kids that maybe aren't the varsity level or more of the freshmen that are coming into college. Uh, and then with track, I was the sprints coach. So I got to work with all the sprints and hurdlers. Um, you know, we had Deb and Jim that were the head coaches that worked with their groups and their different events, had a couple of throws coaches. So a little bit larger of a staff had an opportunity mm -hmm. to, you know, kind of focus and really get my feet wet with coaching my kids my way, mm -hmm. I guess. Um, they gave me the latitude to build my workouts, uh, to do what we wanted to with them, um, and, and had a chance to work with some really, really good kids while I was there too, uh, which was really fun. During that three and a half, did you do soccer and track the whole three and a half years yep. there? Yep. Yep. How close did we come to losing you to soccer during that time? You're you're back. Uh, I don't want to say in your element because you're certainly are in your element with track, but you did soccer since four years old. I mean, that's almost yeah, like DNA yeah. type aspect stuff here. <laughs> How close did we end up losing you to the to the soccer route of coaching? I think that was, if this is going to make any sense, the track side of things was my profession. The soccer side of things was more my enjoyment yeah like okay. it was more fun mm -hmm. working with the soccer because there was less pressure because mm -hmm. i was working with mm -hmm. the jv kids mm -hmm. um there's a lot of those post-secondary schools that are up in new england that you're playing like those kids that are there doing a one-off before mm -hmm. they go to college mm -hmm. that's what a lot of our jv schedule was mm -hmm. is playing a lot of those po uh, post-secondary schools uh and, and it was just fun like i didn't have to run the entire soccer program i just mm -hmm. ran you know the jv kids right. um and, and then track was I guess more of my professional job, yeah. uh, working with those kids during the indoor season, the outdoor season, um, had a lot of hand in everything that all the sprint side of kids did. So, I mean, I think that was, there was never a thought really that I was going to, you know what, maybe I should shift over to soccer. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think from a recruiting standpoint, I didn't enjoy the recruiting for the soccer side as much as I enjoyed the track side too, which, I don't know that anybody really enjoys the recruiting side. 
but I think the soccer recruiting seemed to be so much more subjective. Mm. Like you can have a really, really good player, but does he fit my system? Mm. Does he fit what we want to do as a program? Does he fit, you know, in, in, in trying to take a square peg and put it around hole for yeah. soccer versus you can see a track kid that, yeah, the times and the marks are one thing. It kind of gives us a springboard, but you can see how they compete and you can see how they interact with their teammates. You can see what their program is from you know, that they're coming from, are they underdeveloped, you know, mm. what, what do we have to work with? So I think from that standpoint, it was a little bit different from a recruiting standpoint from soccer versus track that I enjoyed the track side of things a little bit more. That's a good point. You know, I used to way oversimplify track recruiting. It's like, Hey, the hundred meter in high school is the exact same hundred meter in college. So if they yeah. run X, they should be able to run a little bit better X. If, uh, if yep. I'm such a good coach here where soccer, football, basketball, mm-hmm. you know, you could have a, uh, in basketball, six, four kid, but he's playing against, you know, nobody any good. Yeah. So he's yeah. averaging 30. And it's like, Oh yeah, that kid's not a D one. I know he's averaging 30, but, uh, you get anybody who's a little good, he is going to fold. <laughs> yeah. Right. But you yeah. have to be able to see that and not just go on stats not that you need to just go on stats and track because you need to know about the kid and, and right, culture right. and things like that. But that, that's really interesting about the two different recruiting aspects. Mm-hmm. There. Interesting. Um, you know, you brought up coaching education uh, a couple of times now, which I love because I am a huge coaching education mm-hmm. advocate. Um, you went to the St. Thomas one, which I almost went to. I didn't get to go to that one because I was the uh, national junior high hurdle coach for USATF. And that was the exact okay. same week was our junior mm. league camp out in Chula Vista. Um, Cause I, I gotcha. okay. remember going, Oh, see Thomas, Minnesota. like, I want to go there. And it's like, yeah, same week. And I had yeah. to make a decision. So I went to, I went to Chula Vista, California. And it was pretty, pretty Yeah. Nice. That's a rough place to be. Yeah. Uh, it's pretty nice. Pretty nice. Pretty nice. Um, what has coaching educate? I mean, you've given us a couple of really good examples of like, you know, it set your passion up as far as your, coaching knowing that we don't get into x's and o's but how has coaching education furthered your passion your knowledge your skill set in uh, in this profession i think just getting a chance to hear what other people do because mm. i i think sometimes as coaches we coach how we were coached along the way um Bingo. for good bad or ugly mm-hmm. you know that that is um the way it always seems to be and for me I'm smart enough to know that I don't know everything. Um, I'm not even close to knowing everything, but I'm always willing to listen and see what we can steal from other people mm-hmm. or other cues or, you know, Hey, I've, I'm dealing with this with one of my high jumpers. It's just those kind of those side conversations that take place a lot of times more than anything. And the relationships that you build along the way at the clinics and at the conventions. And I used to go to the MF one that was in, mm-hmm. um, Atlantic City. I yeah, went to that one time. forever because it was cheap. It was convenient. Uh, two and a half days, a ton of speakers every whatever hour and a half or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the USATF one, I've been to uh, the USA track and field. I was at the high performance one in Vegas wow. one summer, yeah. one year. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I think just trying to learn as much as I can. And then how can we apply that to our kid? Right. You know, I, I don't have the division one Baylor 400 runner, mm-hmm. but what do they do that might be able to translate to the kids that we do here at division three schools and Heidelberg college, Heidelberg university. Right. Um, you know, what, like, what are the philosophies? What are the training differences? What are some things and asking those questions too? Like, why do you do this instead of this? Right. Um, you know, and then as a division three coach along the way, we've had to do so many different things 
Like I was a sprinter, but I also ran distance, but how do I coach throwers? I, I never picked up anything. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, my coach wouldn't let me be a jumper in college because I had bad hamstrings. So, you know, I have to coach those things along the way. Right. And when I have coaches that coach them, I have to be able to help direct them that are new coaches, um, let them get their feet wet, let them figure out their philosophy, how they want to do things. Uh, but also when they get stuck, being able to give them and pass some information along the way. And I, I tell people all the time, I'm not scared of stealing anything from anybody if I think mm -hmm. it's going to help my kids get better. Right. What, what was your level two at St. Thomas and did you use sprints and hurdles? I did. I did sprints and hurdles. Um, Have you done others? I've, I've done endurance. I've yeah. done sprints and hurdles. Uh, I've done jumps. I'm looking yeah. at my wall. Yeah. ATF <laughs> jumps. Yeah. Um, and I've done strength and conditioning yeah. uh, through the coaches association now. Right. Um, so I've, I've tried to get into as many as I can yeah. along the way. When you did jumps, was that with Boo? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, that, Boo is good. Boo uh, is one of the. Uh, yeah. Well, when I finally was able to do level two, I was at Ball State and mm -hmm. I was going to be a sprints hurdles coach. That was what I was going to be. Like my whole goal is to make it to the SEC. And I was like, I will coach sprints and hurdles in the SEC. And uh, so I put in for my first level two at Boise State. And I remember Mike Korn calling me up and he was like, hey, Mike. Uh, I was out of Boise State. Is that right? <laughs> Not for well, jumps. For jumps? Uh, 2002, USATF 2002. No. I yeah. don't know. What year was Boise State? <laughs> That was USATF, not our coaches' association. Right, U one, US, USATF. I was at Ball State for the 02 and 03 season, so it would have been uh, summer of 02. Because 02, but, I was out there. Yeah. Yep, for jumps. Oh, I did jumps. Man. Yep. <laughs> well, you had the best <laughs> class there ever was because that was class I was in. Because Mike Corn calls me up and says, "Hey, uh, I know you put down sprints and hurdles, but it's full. Uh, but I have a slot for the jumps." And I remember thinking, "Oh." I'm not a jumps coach. Like I'm a, more specifically, I'm a hurdles coach, right? That was yeah. my identity. And my identity was, yep. I yep. am a hurdles coach. That was the best event. That's what I do. And he goes, Mike, you will learn a lot about sprints. Mm -hmm. And trust me with Boo. And I don't, I don't know if I even knew who, this sounds terrible. I don't know if I knew who Boo was, or I certainly right. didn't know who uh, Boo was at that point, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I drove out, you know, from Ball State, Muncie, Indiana, all the way out to Boise, and oh my goodness, like yeah. the eyes just open, you know, his real skill. I, and I, now I'm, you know, I love Boo to death, mentor of mine. Uh, he's an amazing human being and friend. And, you know, his skill is he's able to take very, very complex mm -hmm. uh, ideas and dumb them down for me, <laughs> for this guy. <laughs> yep. I, I remember I, I, and I never did, thank goodness for a lot of athletes. I never did coach pole vaulting, but I remember watching him, you know, do his stick figures and mm -hmm. showing pole vaulting. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I remember walking out going, I, I think I can coach pole vault. I can do yeah. this. Yeah. 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 Th again, thank God for a lot of athletes. I did not uh, <laughs> pursue that, but um, yeah. that was an amazing class. We, yep. we, yeah. we had some really good people. Uh, like like future use bills in that class that went on to do amazing things. That was, it, it changed my life. Uh, like literally changed mm -hmm. my life. How I coached, you know, I went back to Ball State and oh my gosh, my kids got way better. And then, you know, I made it to Mississippi yeah. State and we did really well. Uh, it changed my life on how I look about education today. You know, sitting yeah. in the position I sit in now, that I think about education in general a lot differently because mm -hmm. of Boosh Exlater, man. Well, and I, every time I'm at a convention and he's one of the speakers, I tr I, I go to one of his, 100%. I've heard his talks a ton of times, but every time I leave 
learning something new yep. or reinforcing something that I yep. thought I had heard before. Mm -hmm. Um, but it also reinforces so much of what other people say, because you go to so many of these different talks at conventions or clinics, and so many people will reference Boo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. The, the Boo disciples, baby. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Absolutely. I, I, I tell everybody, if you're listening, this goes to you. If you are at a clinic, convention, it don't matter. If you were anywhere and Boo is speaking, and to Bill's point, I don't care what mm -hmm. he's speaking about. If he's talking about, because he can speak on anything, by the way. If he's talking about throwers, jumpers, sprinters, I don't care what event you coach. You go listen to him. You will learn something about your event, no matter what he's, if he's speaking about tiddlywinks, I want you to go because you're going to pick up something for your sprinters or jumpers or throwers. Yep. I mean, the guy is just absolutely amazing. It was so awesome. You know, when we're recording this, we just got uh, finished up with the USTF CCCA convention. And while I didn't get to go listen to Boo speak, I got to talk to my friend Boo for a while. And um, again, what a generous giver for our sport. What an education, an educator for our sport. Uh, it's really something precious we have with, with Boo Schexnader. And we're all lucky to be in this timeline that we have him uh today so take advantage of it because i know he's speaking at a lot of clinics uh this past year winter so take advantage of that uh that's awesome that you were at boise man that's so cool <laughs> i love that i love that uh so thank you for talking about coaching education because again i i'm just a you know mm -hmm. because of boo i'm a big you know just a huge huge advocate of it all right so you go to colby let's get back there we're three and a half years you're doing soccer yeah and track and field. We yep. don't lose yep. you to soccer. Thank goodness. Uh, and this was probably because we did Colby's indoor facility. Boy, time goes by uh, strangely, maybe 10 years ago. So this was probably before they had an indoor facility. It was. Or at least so the they indoor had an, today. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, they had an indoor something. Um, <laughs> it, we, we, we could train on it. Um, it was bomb proof, I think. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, in Maine to have something to be able to train on. It was, it was nice. It was yeah, needed. Um, it was not the prettiest in the world, but it, it, it was functional. It did what we needed it to. Uh, and then we got a chance to go down to, you know, Boston a bunch and run down there. Mm -hmm. Cause there's so many tracks that are down there right. ran uh, at BU's old board track before yeah. they built their new one. Uh, Bowden, I'm trying to think Tufts, you know, there's mm -hmm. a bunch of schools that are up there mm -hmm. in new England that had the indoor facilities. Um, so it, it was really nice and I've seen pictures. I've not been back to Maine to see the new facility yeah. that they built. That is a Taj Mahal from yes. what I understand. But, yeah. um, cause, cause Colby's what the Panthers, what's their, uh, mules, mules. Is that right? Yeah. Cause yeah. I have this vision of this huge, like cat, this Panther or something on the wall. Hmm. Mm -hmm. No. Nah. I got to go back and look right. at that now. Yeah, my memory. Yeah. Again, again nice. memory not that great because they were quite a while ago. <laughs> well, you deal uh, with so many coaches in so many different schools. That's true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> humble brag there. Thank you very much, Bill. Appreciate that. Uh, okay, so three and a half years at Colby. Where and why did we go uh, somewhere else? So I started having people kind of get in my ear a little bit. Like, do you want to make this your career? Um, maybe you should start looking at being a head coach. Okay. So... You're so all like, of four and a half years in the profession. Sure. <laughs> you know, right. You know, um, so a job came open back here in Ohio at Muskingum college, um, mid-year, the athletic director that was there, um, had been a football coach at Heidelberg. So there was a bit of a connection, um, change a coach. So he called, asked if I was going to be back in this, in Ohio for the holidays and they had an opening. 
because uh, I had applied for it before and they went another direction uh, when it was open before I didn't have enough experience under my belt. So had a chance to come back, uh, ended up getting offered the head coaching job at Muskingum College, head cross country and track. Um, I think I was there for four and a half, five years, um, built the program, tried to bring in more kids, kind of, you know, first head coaching job mm -hmm. is always overwhelming a little bit because as an assistant, you deal with some of the behind the scenes stuff, not as much as the head coaches do. Um, but we had a opportunity to, you know, have some really good kids that have come through the program, um, set some school records, had some all Americans, had some kids that made it to nationals. Uh, and it was a fun place to be back in the conference that I competed in back mm -hmm. in high school or when I was in college. So knew some of the same coaches that were here. Um, you know, when I was an athlete, we're still coaching in the conference at that point. Um, so I'm about eight years out of college mm -hmm. when I take over as a head coach. Um, was here a lot of, this is when kind of the indoors tracks started getting built in Ohio. Okay. There started to be a lot more of them. Um, and I don't think at that time we were in a position to build one at Muskingum. Mm -hmm. And I think there was a ceiling on what we could do from a recruiting standpoint and from a competition standpoint. Uh, happened to be out at nationals and trying university up in Indiana. Hmm. I knew one of the assistant coach, one of the coaches that was there that was leaving and they were building an indoor facility. Hmm. So Muskingum got me to be a head coach for the first time. Um, moved on to trying. I was there for about four or five, about five years. Uh, they were building an indoor facility and I knew kind of, okay, the next step, each one of the moves in my career has been to try to take that next step and further things a little bit, do something I hadn't had an opportunity to do before. And when I was at trying, we had, once the indoor facility was built, I think 13 indoor meets a year uh, between college and high school. Um, wow. The, 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 yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot. The president wanted us to make sure that the facility got used. Um, and, and we, we, we <laughs> got our, we got our use out of it, um, between college and high school meets. Uh, we even hosted, uh, another conferences college meet. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so, because again, there weren't a whole lot of indoor tracks up in that Indiana, Michigan area. I think mm -hmm. Calvin had just built one. Uh, Grand Valley had theirs. Hillsdale had their old one uh, at that time, um, who's built, now built another one. So, mm -hmm. you know, we we didn't have a whole lot of opportunities up in that area, the, the state or in the country or the region, I guess. Um, so it was nice. We we had a lot of home meets and <laughs> helped our budget immensely. Um, and it helped with recruiting, too. So it, it is uh, trying Division three as well. They are. Yep. And it's yep. trying, which is the school in that area that closed down? It wasn't trying. So it used, they used to be called Tri State University. Right. And then I think it was 08. They went through a name change and a okay. rebrand. Okay. And that's where Trine came up. Got um, it. Got it. So go back to Muskingum real quick. First yep. of all, one of the cooler mascots. I do remember this one. It's some kind of shark, but it has teeth. Uh, it's, it's a muskie. It's that's a muskie. Okay. Fighting, fighting muskies. Yep. Oh, well, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah. That's a mm -hmm. cool. I can just see the animation mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, it's really cool. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite question to ask new head coach, the first time you become a head coach, one is, what was, oh, first of all, were you, were you ready <laughs> to be the head coach? Oh, no. Okay, Not good. That, that's how, <laughs> see, that's kind of like my uh, preliminary question. Cause if, if someone ever says yes, I'm always like, oh, okay, we're a little delusional here. You're right. You're <laughs> never ready until you actually sit down in it. 
Now, the real questions, what was something, because there's, there's people listening right now that are going to be head coaches one day. What is something that you thought was going to be really hard that ended up being easier than you thought, whether it's scheduling, uh, ordering equipment, recruiting, hiring people? What was something that you're like, oh, man, okay, my first head coaching job, I know X is going to be really tough. And then you got in, you're like, oh, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So I... God, that's a great question, but I think I'm probably going to go in the opposite direction with what you think I might say. Okay. Um, the the thought that I was thought was going to be really, really difficult, but ended up being a little bit easier was building a team with the culture that we had in mind. Oh, okay. So you went in knowing how hard culture is. So like, okay, yep. this is yep. going to be hard. And it actually ended up being a, a little bit less hard than you thought. I think so. And a lot of that was because we had a lot of kids that really cared about what they did, Mm -hmm. Um, kind of almost had a little bit of that chip on their shoulder of maybe Mm -hmm. we know we don't have everything that everybody else has, but, you know, we're going to work at it. Um, But I think, you know, purchasing equipment's always a pain everywhere. Um, (laughs) You know, business offices, purchase orders, everybody does things Internally, not externally. Okay, good. No, 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 no. Gil has great stuff. Okay. Um, (laughs) We were going to cut this short um, real fast and yeah, be done no, with this no, podcast. No, no. <laughs> um, but I mean, no matter where you're working, like the, the business office is always going to be what what it is, right. how you deal with it. Budgeting is always going to be what you deal with. You know, um, none of the Division three programs I think are going to be the first to say, "Ooh, we have enough funding. Mm-hmm. We don't have to worry about that." Um, so I think all of those things are going to be pretty similar across the board. A lot of places where I didn't even consider any of that when I took over my first head coaching job. I'm like, in my mind, it was, this is the way I want the team to function Hmm. and trying to get that established kind of right away. um, Gave me a better idea of what we were working with Hmm. as a coach. And as a kid, uh, they understood as this new guy that's coming in in January. Okay. Hmm. This is what the expectation is going to be. Um, and that was way back before we could do all the zoom calls and everything that we've been doing lately. It was, they literally showed up for practice the first day and that's the first time they met me. Oh, wow. Um, in January when they came back for, from semester break. So we had a chance to sit down and say, okay, this is, this is our, what we want to work on. These are the things that we expect, you know, here's how we want to run the program. I'm going to do everything I can to help you guys get the, get better we're going to probably do some things a little bit different, but you know, what we're going to do is we're going to try to put you guys in a position to be the best that you can be, but you have to work hard at it. I can't be the only one to work hard at it. You know, I like that answer a lot, Bill, because that way of you building that culture on day one, by the way, it's hard no matter what day day one is coming mm-hmm. back from uh, Christmas break. You know, they've had a semester with one staff and then all of a sudden it's yep. like, yep. Uh, here's yep. a new guy. What in the world? And by the way, you got probably a competition the very next weekend or something. Mm-hmm. But I love that that was, I'm going to keep saying less hard, not easy. Cause it's not easy. It was, <laughs> it was less hard than you thought it was going to be because that culture that you brought, that you are bringing to 
Muskingum at that time is built on the shoulders of the men and women who coached you beforehand. There was a little bit of Colby sprinkled in how you were going to run your program. There was a little yeah, bit of yeah. uh, uh, Hartwig spilled in there. There's a little bit of Muskingum from when you were an undergrad. There was a little bit of your high school coaching staff mm-hmm. and maybe a teacher or other mentors along the way, your parents, all of that is built into how you are going to run your culture. Mm-hmm. So for that uh, to be your answer, I absolutely love that because that it's really expressing what a lot of other people have poured into you up to that mm-hmm. point. So uh, now I'm going to ask the reverse of that question. What did you, as you become your new new head coach in January, by the way, that's extremely tough. You're a new <laughs> head coach. What was something that you thought was going to be extremely easy that ended up being a little bit harder than you thought? Recruiting. Oh, okay. I, I think recruiting was because we had recruiting a Colby is a, different animal um, because there's a certain subset of student athletes in high school that have qualified for like the NESCAC type schools, you know, the William Samhurst middle So you have a very small mm. like pipeline, I guess, or focus on the kids that you work for, you, you look for. Mm-hmm. Muskingum is the same as Heidelberg and similar to Hartwick is it's, there's not really necessarily that like they have to hit this GPA that's a high class, high GPA with this income, this earnings and everything else. I think for us, like the recruiting is the hardest part was finding the kid that was the right fit, Mm. you know, and we, we had some kids along the way. There was a a girl that we had recruited that was a really, really good distance runner. Um, She ended up coming in as a freshman was our top girl as a freshman, uh, but ended up transferring after the first semester because from a culture standpoint, it wasn't a great fit for her. Um, the, the school and kind of where the program was at that point, she was looking for something a little bit different than what we had to offer. Um, so I think we had some swings and we had some misses along the way with finding the right kid that was really the right fit for the school. Mm. You know, as a young coach, you're like, ah, I know what I'm doing. I'm a great coach. We're going to have a great team. I'm going to be able to sell you on that. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand that, you know, there's a hundred other coaches that are great coaches with great teams that are also trying to sell you on that too. Right. Uh, <laughs> you know, so I think that was probably the hardest transition as a head yeah. coach, um, being able to find and identify those kids because we didn't have much of a staff. I think I was the only full-time staff. We had two part-time coaches that came in and helped us out a little bit. And then I think my last year there, we finally got a grad assistant. Um, so I'm kind of recruiting everybody all at the same time and, you know, trying to make everything work in a way that we could continue to grow the program and continue to be competitive and increase how competitive we were able to be. Um, but I, being able to identify that kid was really, really hard. I think early on earlier in my career. Yeah, I think that's not that it's any easier now. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Well, it probably is because you've learned that, you know, I was known when I coached as a recruiter. And so, you know, Ball State, Mississippi State, the Juco, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, You always got really, really like, you know, some of the nation's top kids, all that kind of stuff. And I probably couldn't have verbalized it then, but I instinctually, I understood the type of kid with a lot of dynamic, not just um, athletically, but uh, and obviously academically, but like you mentioned about, um, you know, their, their uh, household income, things like that. Mm-hmm. I instinctively knew, and this is going to sound pretty, duh, you're going to laugh at this one, that it was going to be different from coaching boys and girls, men and women, junior mm-hmm. college in Kansas to only women at Ball State University in Mac. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it was instinctual. That's pretty easy instinctual, right? But when I got to Mississippi State, uh, and it took me a, 
luckily it only took me like a half a second, but I had to realize like, oh, it's different here too. I mm -hmm. I went there thinking, oh, I'm at Mississippi State now. I'm in the SEC. Everybody's going to know me like because they all see my team play on Saturday for football. So they're mm -hmm. going to know the track mm -hmm. team. Yep. And I remember the first time if you, you know, if you're a regular listener, you've heard the story a hundred times. And, and the only reason I tell this story is because I, I signed the kid at the end. If, if I would have signed this kid, I'd never <laughs> tell the story. But I remember the first kid I recruited, the very first kid I recruited, I swung for the fence. I'm going grand slam from the get-go. I'm recruiting LZ Coleman from up in New York. And LZ ended up setting the indoor high school 400-meter national records. That's how, you know, he's a one-percenter, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I'm getting to know LZ. And I remember one phone call. It's like, oh, so, you know, LZ, who are your, you know, you said you're going to come visit us. That's awesome. Who are your other four? And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to Florida, USC, Baylor, and Texas. And I remember thinking, Oh crap. <laughs> and this was the half a second, like, Oh, it is different here. This is not easier. Yeah, In fact, yeah. it might've gotten harder. I was like, Oh wait, I got to go beat mouse. Mouse was a mentor of mine. Like I got to go beat him. Uh, I got to beat L. I live in Starkville in Mississippi, brother. Uh, he's going to go to LA and visit USC. Mm, that's going to be okay. That's going to be tough. Oh wait, yeah, he's going to yep. 400 meter. U. he's going to go to yep, Baylor. Yep, oh, yep. Oh, okay. Well, I don't really have that history either. Oh, and he's going to Texas, which yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm just like, Oh, and, and luckily it, it, it learned real quick, like, okay, uh, these are the type of, you know, the pool of kids that I can recruit at Mississippi State mm -hmm. are much smaller than, say, at like Ball State University, uh, but it's going to have to be different. And we got to pick the right mm -hmm. person who wants to come to Starkville, Mississippi, uh, right. over other places. So uh, I think it's fascinating when people are good recruiters. I'm always like, oh, I'd like to see you at different, not, not you know, not just all Power Five or even mm -hmm. all D3 or all D2, like mix up the locations and types yeah. of academically and not academically to schools too. Uh, I think it's extremely tough. So I think a guy like you obviously has personality. You, you kind of were a little bit like me. It seems like I'm like, oh, well, you know, I got, I got a great school and it's me and, you know, and you should believe in yourself. That's not a bad thing. Like, oh, and it's me. Like I'll be able to do this. And you forget like, oh, wait, coach over there. Well, he's a good dude too. Mm -hmm. And this coach over yep. here, man, she's yep. awesome and smart. Oh my gosh. We're all battling for these kids. Yep. Holy cow, by the way. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. So you went to, thanks for that. So you went to Trine. Are we at the point, did you go Trine to Heidelberg now? No, there were a couple of stops in there between Trine and Heidelberg. Okay, so, let's, let's keep going because I have a question that is burning in my soul to ask, but I want to keep going okay. here. So Muskingum head coach, you go to Trine. How was that? Did, did they do the indoor facility while you were there? First year is when they finished it. So, so that's a unique experience. There. Yeah, yeah, it was um, getting a chance to, work with the layout um, yeah. mm -hmm. and, and then actually like hosting the champion or hope hosting all the meets mm -hmm. uh, indoor on in, in Indiana and in high school was kind of on the rise at that point. Mm -hmm. So we started hosting quite a few indoor high school meets. Um, and then with the Indiana high school state championships kind of being a thing for high school, uh, they've got the qualifying meets. So we actually were able to host a couple of those and we had a ton of kids that were on campus and in the building. Um, but I think being able to host that home indoor conference championship, cool. uh, back in the day, cause before the MIAA is the conference that Trine was in. So we're in there with, uh, Adrian and Calvin and Hope and oh, yeah. Olivet and all those schools. Um, we were the only school not in Michigan in the Michigan intercollegiate conference. Uh, <laughs> so, but back <laughs> then <laughs> we didn't have indoor track as a conference championships because there were no indoor tracks. We oh. built one and Calvin built one at about the same time. So we alternated with a conference indoor championship. Um, what, however, it was that we named it back then. It was kind of proof of concept mm -hmm. to the presidents and to the chancellors that 
you know, there's a, there's an interest in this. All of the teams are participating in this. So we did it at Calvin. We did it at our place. I think we went back and forth three or four years before the conference got on board and said, okay, we're going to sponsor this as an indoor championship. So <laughs> to be cool. part of laying that groundwork was really cool. And to see the conference all come together and come on board, because there were a couple of coaches that were against indoor track. Um, can, I, can, I get some, can I get some names, please? I need to talk to those guys and gals. <laughs> um, but I, I think the more that they got involved with it and the more they saw that, that it helped their student athletes, it helped with retention, it helped right. with, you know, all of the other schools that were charming in people's ears. Like, hey, we've got an indoor facility. Why don't right. you come over here? We have a championship. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, really fun to kind of be part of that. Um, cool. And in kind of the next step in the career was yeah. I went to Virginia uh, I was at Randolph College, used to be Randolph Macon Women's College, and I ended up taking that step. Uh, I'd been down to Lynchburg, Virginia before, so it's right across town from Lynchburg College, mm-hmm. Liberty University. Um, mm-hmm. Really is kind of a college town, surprisingly. Very much so, um, yeah. But uh, they only had cross country at the time. And the cross country coach was the physics professor that started the cross country program. They wanted to add track and field. Okay. So I took the head coaching job down there um, to start a program from scratch, which is something that not many people ever get a chance to do. Uh, so that was the thing that really intrigued me about that position. Another small division three school knew the area somewhat, uh, knew the conference somewhat, um, you know, Roanoke, Washington, and Lee, you know, mm. those schools all in the conference. So it was, it was an opportunity to go and really start something from scratch, which at that point was something that I thought was really appealing. I'm like, okay, I get to come down. We get to start everything from scratch, rebuild kind of cross country from the get go. Um, but really put our stamp on starting the track program indoors and outdoors. They had a, a gorgeous outdoor facility uh, stadium that had already been built because they redid their soccer field because they didn't have football. Mm-hmm. Uh, they only had soccer was kind of soccer and lacrosse were the main outdoor sports that they had at the time, but redid this gorgeous stadium with this great eight lane track um, buying in track they had put down. So it was a really unique kind of a setting too. I'm like, oh, yeah, they've got great facilities. It's in the south. I don't need an indoor track. Little did I know it still snows yeah. uh, <laughs> and gets cold. Um, but I think the opportunity to do something like that was, like I said, so unique yeah. that we got a chance to really work for from the ground up with that. And I think that's that's really the reason that I ended up taking that position um, to start something from nothing. You're really layering an interesting career. I mean, you know, Bill, I know you think you've coached for a long time, but you still have you know, at least two decades <laughs> in here, buddy. So it's not like you're near the tail end of your career here. And you've, at this point, you've already been a head coach. There's, you know, if you, mm-hmm. if you play like um, uh, track coach bingo, you know, being a head coach, okay, that would be in there somewhere. Um, you know, doing a, a facility, that, that's something that, yep. you know, yep. not many coaches do at all in their careers. Right. Uh, some will do one time in their career. Very few do more than one in their career. Uh, you're already starting to check that off with trying and hosting and hosting conference. Mm-hmm. That's a that's yep. another part of the bingo go court card here um kind of starting a program from scratch that's a uh, that's a different skill set than taking over 30 40 already yeah. in, in the uh roster type programs that's it's really interesting what you're building up in this early stage of, of the career here yeah, yeah. Did, did you purposely search out challenges 
Like, could, could you ever stretch out like make it a little easier on yourself here, Alville? But like at this point, it seems like you're like, oh, that's going to be a tough situation. Yeah, yeah. You, you got a job open? I want to come over there. Oh, you got a tough yeah. situation? All right, cool, cool. I want to come over there. It seems like you're like pursuing these challenges. I don't think purposely that was my intent. Mm -hmm. um, I think for me, it was more, what haven't I done hmm. along the way that that everybody doesn't get a chance to experience. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I knew at Muskingum, we weren't going to get an indoor facility. Ironically, they just opened one, I think last year, the year yeah, before that, last year, um, yeah. that we're going to get a chance to go and compete at this, this spring. Um, but, you know, back then it wasn't in the cards. Mm -hmm. So, okay, there's an indoor facility gives me an opportunity to compete at a different level at trying. Um, and then I was there. And then when the opening came up down at Randolph, I'm like, you know what? This is unique. Like it, it, it's a unique opportunity. Not very many people ever get a chance to start a program. And it, it was a challenge for sure, but it was something that I really enjoyed, um, you know, getting a chance to just build something and almost go back to that. This is what we want it to be type of a mentality, um, starting off from a cultural standpoint. I mean, you know, really kind of laying that foundation clearly at the beginning since it, it wasn't there before. Cross country had existed. So there was a bit of a shift and a transition there that needed to be done. But track was, they had one of the guys that was on the cross country team had kind of started a track club mm. so that they could do some stuff in the Springs. But you know, I was the first full-time track and cross-country coach in the school's history. Uh, and we had a little bit of success while we were down there, but it was it was fun along the way, too. I uh, I just put, wrote myself a note. I'm going to put together a coach's bingo card of, of <laughs> you know, head coach, assistant coach, volunteer that's going to be on there, start a new program, build a facility. Yeah, I'm going to have to put that together. That'll be a lot of fun. Uh, okay, so... After Randolph, you probably went and found a program that uh, had dropped men's track and you were going to bring it, I don't know, some challenge. What, what was next after Randolph? So while I was at Randolph, I had, so when I was all the way back to Hartwick, Joe Dombrowski was the head track and cross country coach when I was his assistant. Right. His wife is a field hockey and women's lacrosse coach. So I'm just kind of laying a little groundwork. They both work at the University of the South in Sewanee, Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Joe is an equipment manager now. He's no longer coaching. Michelle is the head women's lacrosse coach, field hockey coach. They put on a cross-country camp over the summers. And when they knew I was in Virginia, Joe, Michelle, they called me and said, hey, do you want to come over and work our cross-country camp? We know you're in the area, seven and a half, eight hours away. Um, I'm like, sure, why not? That sounds like fun. So three summers, I went over to Sewanee, would work the cross-country camp, gorgeous campus, 60-plus miles of trails on campus, 13,000-acre school. I mean, it, and they're Division III, um, but it was kind of a Colby type of a school, really high-achieving student-athletes, you know, kind of that select type of kid again. Um, but I did that for three summers, and I used to joke with the head coach that was there for track and cross-country. Jeff Heitzenrader. I'm like, Jeff, you need to just retire or they need to give you another position and I'll come over and I'll work at Swanee. So fast forward to an announcement that Jeff was retiring from coaching and moving back to admissions uh, after 21 years as the coach there. And so I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I called up Michelle and Joe. I'm like, hey, what's the chance? 
because <laughs> um, I love the school. I love the areas in the mountains. I love the outdoors. Um, was there, ended up being there for four years as the head track and cross country coach. So what I joked about during the summers ended up coming to fruition. Um, but my first year there was 18, 19. 19 is when COVID started. Mm -hmm. So we had a cross country season that went really well. Um, we had an indoor season that went pretty well. Um, and then the world shut down, mm -hmm. you know, that, that spring. So, and then we were even more strict the following year in 2021. So 20 that fall, there was still no competitions anywhere. 21 spring, some people were competing. Some people weren't. Um, our vice chancellor made the decision that we could compete, but we could only do it on campus. So the rest of the SAA, the conference we were in, ended up having an outdoor championships that year. We couldn't go and compete. We had two tri meets at home. That was it for track. So, you know, it, it was it was a difficult first two years on the job while we were there. Um, but then once we got through that, things kind of settled back to normal. We started really trying to focus on recruiting, building a team. Um, and in my last year there, we had a couple of family things that happened. And then the job came open up here at Heidelberg that it had been open in the past, but it never felt like it was the right time to look at it. Um, Brian was the head coach for everything, um, cross country and track. It used to be a separate position. They combined it under him. Uh, and then we hired a new athletic director at the beginning of last year here at Heidelberg. And Greg wanted to invest into the program. And he thought the best way to grow the program was splitting that position into two separate head coaches. Uh, so now we have a cr head cross country coach. I'm the head track coach. We've got uh, three grad assist, four grad assistants technically that work with the program. So we've got six coaches for the track and cross country program here. Um, never in my coaching career have I had a staff with that many coaches. Right. Usually they've been one and a half, two, two and a half people. Um, so, you know, everything just kind of fell in place that it was the right time that the job came open. It was, it had to come open in November. I had talked to Brian, who was the cross country coach, who is the cross country coach. Uh, didn't feel like it was the right fit then, but I kept it in the back. It kept popping up in the back of my mind. Hmm. Uh, so February rolled around. They still hadn't filled it. I talked to Brian again, wow. and then I just reached out to the athletic director. Uh, like, Hey, you don't know who I am. Uh, what are you looking for was really kind of the crux of the email that I had sent him. And so he kind of, well, let's set up a phone call. So we talked, he told me everything that they were going to do with the program, with the new field house that they're going to break ground on, uh, with the coaches, with kind of the direction he wants to see the program go. Uh, and then he said, you know what, if you're interested, let me know. And I'll put the search committee together. We'll set up a zoom and we'll go from there and you know, see what happens. So kind of fast forward end of February, beginning of March, um, came out and interviewed and they offered me the job. So I was still down in Tennessee at the time. I couldn't leave them because had I left, the team wouldn't have had a coach. So Greg and I kind of talked. I said, let me, I need to finish the year out down here. It's not fair to my kids on the team right now for me to leave in the middle of the season mm -hmm. and for the, them to not have a season. Um, and Joe was my assistant coach at the time, Dombrowski. So it kind of came full circle. He was yeah. my head coach. Um, I convinced him my last year there to come and help me out. And he was helping out with my throwers. 
Um, so it was really kind of, we joked about it all the time because I literally lived two houses down from them. We had built a house in Tennessee too. Um, so it was really kind of funny to see how that kind of came full circle in that regards. Um, but then I came up here and I hit the ground running in May and feel like I'm just now getting a chance to breathe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. And then I come calling and you're like, Oh man. Um, okay. So here's the question that's been burning in me. Help us understand. So there was a, we're, we're very intentional of this is not the Gill Division One Connections podcast. <laughs> uh, and most of my experience coaching is in Division One. I had, you know, some high school and uh, one year of junior college, but, you know, Ball State, Mississippi State, et cetera. Um, so we've had several Division Three coaches on here, D2, NAI, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Were you, your whole, your whole career, all the way back to your athletics, has been in the division three realm, which is a really special realm. Like it's a unique realm. Mm-hmm. And I mean that not special, like, uh, you know, you're special bill, like special, <laughs> like it's a cool, cool division here. Were you always pursuing D three positions or did it just end up like that? And if you were pursuing them, why? I don't think over the course of my career, I don't think I've ever applied for a job that wasn't a division three job. Maybe there was an NAI job somewhere along the way that I had applied for. Uh, but I, for me, Division Three means you do it because you, you're passionate. You love what you do. You're doing it because you want to, not because there's an ulterior motive that is connected to it. Um, let's face it, Division One. there's not a lot of prestige in Division One track and field or any track and field in general, unless you're that top 1%. Um, I have always loved what Division Three brings to the table. And it also doesn't limit the opportunity specifically for our sport. Hmm. As a Division Three track and field athlete, personally, I had a chance to compete at Eastern Michigan. I competed at Kent State. I competed at Division One schools as a Division Three athlete. Over the years, I've taken kids that are Division Three kids to pin relays. We've been to um, Coastal Carolina. We've been to UAB. We've been to a lot of Division One competitions over the years as Division Three athletes. So for me, that doesn't matter what level you compete at because kind of back to your point, 100 meters is 100 meters regardless at the end of the day, whether you have a scholarship or not, doesn't make my experience or your experience any less valuable or any more valuable. Um, Kind of the story that I tell everybody is I I was not meant to be a sprinter. (laughs) (laughs) I was a distance runner. Um, I had somebody that believed in me and allowed me to become what I became when I was racing in college. No division one school would have ever given me a chance to do that. Had I ever thought about doing and Mm. reaching out to one. Um, I was an all American. I will never have that taken away from me. It does not mean any less to me than it does to a division one runner, a division two runner an NAIA runner. Um, I was able to be involved in whatever it was that I wanted to when I was in college. Um, and, And I kind of worked the same way with my student athletes is I'm not going to limit you to only being a track athlete while you're here at Heidelberg. We've got soccer, we've got volleyball, we've got football players that are all a member of our track team. We've got basketball players that are coming out for the outdoor track season. 
Um, so you can be involved in a multitude of things and it's not us versus them. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, mm -hmm. it's, you can be the best version of what you want to be while you're here without being told what version that has to be. Mm. And if you want to be involved in multiple things and you're more than welcome to. Now we have the conversation a lot of times where kids are so involved in so many things. My joke is you become a Swiss army knife. You do a lot of things, but you don't do anything very well. We want you to be excellent in everything that you're involved in, whether it's academics, whether it's community service, whether it's athletics, but that's on your terms, not necessarily on my dictating those terms, if that makes sense. Um, but I, I, I think for division one, there's so many things about the sport and about sports in general at this level that are just the sport. It's not NIL. It's not comparing scholarships. It's not, that's the ulterior motive. I'm just going there because they're paying me to play. So it's my job. Mm. These kids are on the team for no other reason other than they want to be part of the team. And it's something that's important to them, you know, and, and the end of the day they make that decision i don't necessarily say you know the best kids get to be on the team because we talk a lot about culture along the way and we talk about fit along the way with what we do um and, and you either want to be part of it or you don't i think but if you want to boil it down to something really simple it's there there's a unique feel to division three that's not limited in what we do with our sport specifically I've said this for many, many years, even before I got to Gill when I was still coaching. I said, you know, maybe some of the best coaches that we have out there are actually on the Division Three level. Uh, go look at who's being recruited, the marks that are being recruited to Division Three, and then go look at the Division Three mm -hmm. National Championship. Uh, and that certainly has borne out here in the last year or two because uh, you guys have just gone nuts. Uh, I think it took 10.09, 10.03 to win your 100 in the mm -hmm. men's. I yeah. think the, yeah. the 200 was, was a, a separate person, by the way. This isn't just one sprinter that was yeah. running the one oh, yeah. two. Two different people. Yep. Uh, two hundred meter was run in like twenty point something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. And of course, you know, people like Andrew Rock has come out of D three. Uh, what's what's the half miler? Uh, Andrew Matt, Rock, think, Nick Simmons. Uh, Simmons. There you go. Yeah. Um, um, there's a hurdler I'm missing too. That was a, a stud, I believe. But uh, and some great pole vaulter. But it, it's not. I mean, Division three is amazing. Mm -hmm athletically and then when you start talking about the i love how you put that I kind of wrote, i got to go back and check exactly how you said i want to use this as one of our quotes so that people can see this when we uh when we publish this you said um i'm, I'm probably paraphrasing here I've, i want i want to go back and hear your exact quote you can be the in division three you're talking about you can be the best person that you that you can be you probably said want to be without being told to be that person and again i've probably butchered it, but I could see what you're saying there of like, you can come here and if you want to be a, an awesome volleyball player and track athlete, this is the place you can be. I'm sorry. That's probably not going to happen. Um, I'm going to leave names out of it, out of, out of a division one university. Right, uh, right. And, and, and I don't want to necessarily say for understandable reasons. I, I read this tweet the other day, you know, I live my life on Twitter, Bill. Uh, so, you know, I, that's all I hear is what's on Twitter. If it's not on Twitter, it doesn't exist to me for some reason. Um, <laughs> but it was kind of a controversial take. I wish I could give credit due to who it was that uh, tweeted it. I'll have to go find it again. But this person said, and I'm not even sure this was a track person. This might have been a retweet from a track person, uh, another sport person. But they said, I don't think coaches should be fired 
because of their record. Yeah, it wasn't a track person because they were talking about football and basketball as well. Mm -hmm. And a track person retweeted it and had you know conversation about it. And you know that's a pretty controversial take, especially in America mm -hmm. on sports, yeah. right? And you know maybe we tend to think of pro sports and it's like, wait a minute, if the Raiders coach ain't producing, you think he shouldn't be fired, etc. Let's take it down to the college and high school level, though. And let's take it to the track side specifically, because it really resonated with me. You know, 99.9999 track athletes that we ever coach are going to make money in this sport. They're not. They're not. Right. Right. They're not. It, 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 unfortunately, it's so hard in our sport that 99.99% are not going to do it. So what in the world does it matter if you win or not? But... Because I know right now, someone's tweeting me right now. <laughs> I can feel it. Stop it. Just wait. Listen to the rest of this. 100% of the kids that you coach, Bill, the 100% of the kids that Pat Henry at A&M and Mouse Holloway at Florida are going to coach, are going to go on to become moms and dads and business mm -hmm. owners and clergy and uh, uh, restaurant manager, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. That is the real impact that you as a track coach makes is what these kids go on to become adults in society. So, Bill, if you never, ever win a conference title, but you produce kids that believe in themselves, that have love for themselves and loves for others and hard work ethic and go on to do great things in society, um, I'm not sure. And I think you're a pretty good coach because you went through, you, in fact, you went to the same <laughs> coaching education I did. I mean, down to the class. So you are obviously a genius because I was a genius tra track coach. <laughs> But there are so many other parameters around you coaching that you have zero control out of whether they become good or not in their events. You know, they go to college for the first time. There's all these different stressors and pressures. Uh, they may just not love track. And so they love English class instead. And uh, all these other things that go on that you have zero control out of. And you should be punished because your four by four team didn't run 325. We talk about that. It's it's kind of funny you bring that up. The other 22 hours of the day, mm. all the time at practice. Mm. And, you know, we talk about, you know, I pulled an all-nighter. Okay, you don't get to practice today. You get to go home and take a nap. Um, it, it's midterms week. So whatever, I could have the world's best training plan planned out. But if you come to me and you've got the flu, it's midterms week. Um, your dog ran away. Whatever it is that's going on, we have to be able to make those adjustments to what we want to do from a training standpoint. And I, I tell the kids, all the kids that we recruit, if there's two skills that you build while you're in high school, before you come into my program, the two most important things for me are you learn how to communicate, hmm. not just LOLs and emojis. Um, and you learn how to manage your time hmm. because those are two skills that are going to carry you through life in any realm that you're involved in. Oh, true. And, you know, if I don't know what's going on, outside of practice. I'm not just here to make you better for practice because I can't do that if I don't know the other things that are going on. Right. right. Um, so we really want to try to communicate with our kids and we want to work with our kids. And so many kids come to us out of high school with PTSD because in high school, you can only compete a lot of times, two people in whatever events for your high school for a lot of the invitationals. So kids are scared to talk to their coaches and tell them that there is an injury or that there's they're dealing with all these other personal things that are going on. So we have to kind of educate them a lot of times. And maybe we go about it a little bit different than some other folks. Um, but we really try to put forward that 
injuries are not necessarily a bad thing. It's when we don't know about the injury that it becomes an issue. Right. You know, we can't make adjustments. I can make changes to training so that you can still continue to train and improve in a different way than what everybody else is doing. And I'm not going to hold it against you. Right. Um, you know, one of the things that we tell our kids all the time is we're not results oriented with the way we run our program. We are process driven. Mm. So for me, like Monday through Friday is so much more important than what you do on Saturday. Yeah. And the only Saturday that matters to us, which ironically our conference meet isn't a Friday, Saturday, it's a Thursday, Friday for outdoors. Um, <laughs> but at the end of, right. <laughs> that that really messes up of, with the message here. <laughs> right. Right. We need to get on board. Um, but for me, like everything is just a trial run to get yeah. to that conference meet. Yeah. We do this big talk with the team at the end of the season. You know, we've had a hundred and whatever many practices to get to this point. Just take a minute, think about the one or two things that we've focused on that you've made huge improvements in along the way. And, and with, especially in today's climate where mental health is such a thing. Um, so many of these kids are brought up, even I see it in track nowadays. Like I have to win or it's a failure. Yep. I have to, and not, not even that it's not even, I had to win or it's a failure. I have to PR every single time I come out to an event or mm -hmm. it's a failure. Mm -hmm. And in, I kind of joke, we had a kid last year that went 10, six in the hundred as a freshman this year, I bring him up in practice all the time. I'm like, okay, if Jake runs an 11, seven at the conference meet, but wins, is that a failure? Yeah, Right. Yeah. Like, but it's not my PR. I, mean, I don't care, but you won. Is that a failure? Is so, that a win? So, like, so the inverse, if you run 10 50, but get 20th, is that a right. success? <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> yeah. So so I think and we're our own worst enemies in this sport by the way. Cuz to your point when it, 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 we're so rabid about world records, so on the elite level if they don't set a world record, it's like, well, that yeah, wasn't very yeah. good. Yeah. Same with yep. college like, oh, you know, especially yeah. nowadays with you know what what you coaches are doing up there, national records are falling like like they're drinking water here. It's crazy. Uh so now yep. if it's like, oh, they didn't PR, they didn't set a national record, it's like, eh, not the greatest of days. I was like, yeah. I, and I tend to think we we forget, and especially in track and field, you know, when you go to a football game, there's one winner, a right. team wins, right? Uh, the other quarterback doesn't win because he threw more yards. Like there's no winner for that. It's just a team score, right? Mm -hmm. But in track and field, uh, depending on the meet and hopefully most meets, you do have a team winner, which we need to do more in my opinion for track, but whatever. Uh, but we have, what is there, 21, 22 events? We have 21, 22 event winners. So I yeah. think we tend to forget because we have so many winners. So, you know, uh, double sex, right? Male and female. It means we have 22, or I'm sorry, 44 mm -hmm. winners every meet that we go to. I think we forget that winning is hard. Yeah. Because we have yeah. so many events, the way we do things. I think we forget it's hard. And so when a kid, our kid goes out and wins and doesn't set a PR, we're just so numb to winning. It's like, oh, well, there are 40 other kids that won today. So that's no big deal. You right. didn't PR. So you, it wasn't successful. I think that's wrong. I think you're on the right track here, Bill. I, I love your, t tell me more about this. Cause I've heard this and, you know, I read a lot of uh, business books and things like that uh, process over uh, results. Where did that come from though? Cause that's not, I I'll have a lot of other people on this podcast where I can go on Twitter right now and find out that you're wrong, that it's about the results and only the <laughs> results. But I really <laughs> believe in this and have heard this a lot. Where did process over results where did that start for you? Is this a book? Is this a class? Is this a parent, a teacher? Where this had to start somewhere? I think honestly, it came from on the job. Mm. Like just seeing 
so many kids that get it right in practice, right? You know, you're, you're working on new skills, you're working on hurdles, you're working on your release, you're working on whatever it is. And it's right in practice and they replicate it all the time in practice. And it looks like money. You're like, yes, you're going to go out, you're going to PR, you're going to win, you're going to do whatever. And then they get to the meet and they get in their own way. Mm. It's anxiety, it's stress. It's, I, I don't know if I'm ready for this. I don't know that I can do this. I, mm -hmm. it, it's so results driven that mm -hmm. if I don't fill in the blank, it's a failure. Mm -hmm. um, and, and a lot of that, I mean, you look at AAU, you look at, you know, how many of these kids that are getting forced into these big competitions from such a young age that are, you're going to be the next left-handed middle oh. reliever for the Braves or whatever. Um, and, and if you don't do that, then it's going to be a loss. Um, so I think somewhere along the way, there were athletes that I worked with that on any given day when they're having fun, were unbeatable. We're all Americans. Um, but then I would see them get in their own way and then they would, it, it would compound the disappointment mm -hmm. because they know they're better than those people, but they never performed when it mattered to beat mm -hmm. those people. So it was, okay, what do we have to get away from and what do we have to draw our focus to? Uh, and, and I've, you know, read some different sports psychology books and some, going to different clinics and, Almost, I've went to a lot of the high school convention clinic mentality when it comes to a sports psychology, because that's where a lot of it comes from in developing, you know, the the perception of wins and losses, or mm -hmm. you know, being able to filter your focus into what matters and what's most important. And for me, you see kids that go to nationals for the first time, go to the state meet for the first time, and head and shoulders better than what their performance is. Well, what happened? Well, I was so nervous. I didn't meet that day. I was running against somebody that was so much faster than me. I knew I was never going to beat them. There was nothing that I could do. I was going to have to do something I'd never done before. So the focus left them and what they've done to get mm -hmm. to that point. And it was more on everything else that everybody else was doing. So we really try to work on a lot of what are you were kind of the stay in your lane. <laughs> You've got two lanes on either side. What's going on outside of those lanes? Doesn't mm -hmm. matter. Keep in your lane, focus on your lane and focus on what you're doing. And you'll see your improvements if you're doing what you need to do along the way. Mm -hmm. um, but really almost trying to keep it simple. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a little sarcastic, a lot of sarcastic. Um, I'm a lot of a goofball. Um, and, and sometimes that's the way we deal with the meets. I just go out and I try to have fun with them. I try mm -hmm. to lighten the load you know change the the, the yeah. focus and the expectation a little bit i'm not coaching anything different than anybody else is coaching i'm just trying to change the focus a little yeah. bit away from the anxiety of i have to perform well you know that that's what it comes down to is why do you have to perform so you know and i try to stay away from statements like um kids these days and that kind of thing. Cause I, I don't necessarily, I don't think kids have changed really. You know, obviously technology has changed, but um, I think young people, you know, 18 to 22 year olds, whether they were in the forties or the 20 forties are going to be the same way. I, I just, what they have mm -hmm. in front of them, whether it's video games and a cell phone or newspapers and a bicycle back in the day or something, I don't know. Um, so I don't necessarily think that, but I do think because of technology, it's easier to, um, 
bring in negativity and pressure and stress. I mean, we're told every day, and this isn't just kids. This is, again, I'm on Twitter 24 seven. I'm being told every day that I'm not successful because I'm not a millionaire. Uh, I'm being told every day that I'm not successful because I don't weigh 180 pounds. I'm being told every day uh, that I'm not successful because I don't look like Tom Cruise, you know, uh, and these kids are getting it from, you know, they, they didn't know back in the day when we ran, when we ran, we had no clue, maybe outside of our County, maybe, in our state, maybe what other kids were running. So there was zero comparison out there. Now, uh, you know, my guy, John Dye changed the game with die stat. And now with mile split and athletic.net and Tifers and things like that, I know what everybody's doing. And oh, yeah. with social media, I know one second after they cross that finish line, what they did. I know where I'm at in the conference every second of the day. I know where I am nationally. I know where I am uh, amongst other divisions, et cetera. And so, you know, the way you're describing it, so everybody is pressuring people, uh, and especially our young people that we're talking about here specifically. Uh, it seems like you, you mentioned that your favorite part of every day, your, 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 your happy place, I think is what you said, is mm -hmm. at practice. Yep. It yep. feels like you work really hard to make sure that the young people that are in your program their best time of the day is also going to be on that track. Oh, absolutely. I think that's, that's the big thing is there's so many things that are going on in life, you know, whether it's, you know, outside stress, academic stress, social stress, whatever it is that's going on, like this is a happy space. Yeah. I, I, and I tell them, I said, leave it all at the door. Like when you come to practice, let's just try to focus on practice, focus on what we're trying to do. The rest of the stuff, it's still going to be there. But the more you worry about it, the less you're going to be able to get out of this. Yeah. So, you know, it, let's let's take a little bit of time and just focus on this. Have fun with what we're trying to do. Work hard. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, we're not right. just, you know, right. here, you know, playing games all the time. But we right. want to enjoy what we're doing. And it's finding that happy medium of working hard, enjoying what we're doing, and also feeling like they're in a better spot when they get done with practice to yeah. now go on and tackle you know, those earth shattering things that right. 18, 19, 20 year olds think are the most important thing in the world until yeah. they come back five, 10 years later. Yeah. Like, yeah, remember that? That was goofy. Yeah, but those are the most important things in the world. When, yeah. when you're 18, yeah. 19, yeah. 20 year old, oh, yeah. your, your yeah. boyfriend breaks up with you. That is devastating yeah. uh, at yep. that moment. We look back now, we're like, oh, thank God I broke up with Susan <laughs> Q because uh, I married a much better woman than back, you know, her. Uh, but that is important. So they're, they're grades be, because that's all we tell, talk about in society. You're in college. Well, you better be a 4.0. And if you're not 4.0, yeah. you're not perfect. Well, what are you doing right. here, kid? You, right. you know, we're right. always, that is what's important to them. Uh, Bill, that's amazing. Uh, thank you for that. You know, we, we never, I don't know, you know, peel back the curtain here a little bit, dear listener, you know, none of our guests, including Bill here today, get like a preset of questions. They have no idea what's coming at them. I have no idea what's coming at them. So, you know, we, we typically start with a structure of, Hey, we're going to talk about with Bill here. How did he get in track? What positions he went to things like that. But then my mind just goes and wanders and I want to like bring and extract as much value as possible. And Bill, you know, having that conversation about coaching, I know we, we wrapped that discussion around division three, but that's a really important discussion for our NAI coaches, for our division mm -hmm. two, for our division one, for our high school. Um, you know, I'll separate pros a little bit because it is a paycheck at that, you know, that is your right, job right, uh, right. at that point. Um, so, uh, uh, but but that conversation is extremely important for our coaches to learn because we, we can't have coaches doing this for a career for 10 years. We can't have it doing it for 20 years. This is going to be a career. Uh, you know, what you do is extremely important for young people. So we need you in this game for 10, 20, 30, 40 years. That's why I'm always 
I'm a huge proponent of pay more, pay more, pay more, because I want to keep you in this profession, because there's a lot of other professions that pay you a lot more. Uh, and I want you to go do those, to be honest with you, because I want you to take care of your family, friends, and passions, and charities. So if that's what's right, get out of the game. Uh, go, you'll, you'll, you'll contribute to society in other places, but I need you to stay in this game, this coaching profession for longer, and so I need you to get paid more uh, to take care of yourself. So Bill, um, that was just a fascinating, just almost tangent that we went down there, man. I'm so, <laughs> so grateful for that. Uh, we have a few minutes left here. Uh, why don't you to wrap us up here tell us um you know you're kind of just now getting your foot settled here a little bit in heidelberg back in the old uh old um uh, stomping grounds here as your alma mater what's got you excited what are you looking forward to here in 2024 and beyond what's uh you know you're gonna put your real fingerprint you had you had your uh, athlete fingerprint on the program now you're gonna put your your coach fingerprint on there what's got you excited there at heidelberg i mean so i, I literally hit the ground running in may um finished up some recruiting, got a chance to start some recruiting, but really trying to start working with the kids that were already in the program and laying the foundation of what direction they want to go with the program in addition to where I want to go. So it kind of goes back to the collaboration um, of it's their program. I'm just the one kind of steering the ship a certain direction as well. Mm -hmm. um, we've got some really, really good kids that have bought in really, really quickly this year, the upperclassmen, some fifth years, uh, that that wanted to see what the team was going to be like with a full coaching staff. Uh, having six coaches on staff, like I said, is it's the most coaches I've ever had anywhere that I've been. Uh, so delegating to each of my assistants has been interesting. Mm -hmm. um, not having my hands on everything um, has, has been new this year. So I've had to continue to learn. Um, I was able to bring one of my former athletes from Randolph as my jumps coach here. So she followed me all the way to Ohio to be our jumps coach, which has been fun. Um, but, you know, we've got a division two guy from Finley that's working with our sprinters uh, with me. We've got a division three throws coach uh, from Bluffton that's over here helping. And his throws coach from college, who's no longer coaching at college, has come over and volunteered a little bit. So we've got an opportunity to build a program with all of the coaching staff um, in, into the direction that it used to be. It used to be one of the top programs in the conference. Um, that's, like I said, that's going to be a result of the work that we put in, not the focus of the result, the work that we're trying to put in. Uh, we're, we've already started clearing ground for a brand new field house. Uh, so that is 30 years too late. But at least it's still coming. Um, so it's it's gonna we're gonna have a new 200 meter. It's gonna be great for us from just a, from a training standpoint. It's gonna open up opportunities for high school students in the area to be able to get training in, to be able mm -hmm. to have another option for competition. And then from a shameless recruiting standpoint, having 500 kids on campus on a Saturday for a high school meet, they're gonna walk around campus in between their events, and they're gonna see what all we have to offer. Um, so it, it's been really fun to be back more so than I, I expected, I guess. Um, every time you take a new job, it's, I'm going to be able to do this with my job. I'm going to be able to do whatever, uh, with my job. Um, this one was career family focused and the level of comfort coming into it was something that I've never experienced anywhere else because of the familiarity with the school, because of the familiarity with the town and the area. Um, it, it just felt like I tell kids all the time, when you figure out what school you go, you're going to go to, you're not going to know why hmm. it's just going to feel like it's the right choice. 
And honestly, in the short six months that I've been here, seven months that I've been here officially, um, it, it's felt like the best choice I could have made mm. in my career or I have made in my career. Um, each one, I mean, we've already listed through each career step that I've taken mm. has been to further my career for whatever the reason was at the time. This is an opportunity to continue my career. Mm. I'm not trying to further it anywhere else. I'm just trying to focus on you know, what our career is, the direction that we want to go. We want to build a program. We want to grow the program. We want to be competitive. But at the crux of it, uh, we, we still focus everything kind of around the culture. Kids that are really excited about continuing their athletic career, kids that are passionate about working hard and want to improve, uh, and, and kids that are going to be good teammates. I mean, and, and that's really our starting point. For, from a recruiting standpoint, trying to get to know the kids and the families and they get to know us. And mm. for some people, we're maybe not the right fit. They want something that's really hard line. We, we're mm. focused on winning. We're focused on competition. Don't get me wrong. I hate to lose, mm. uh, <laughs> you know, but I think a lot of that takes care of itself along the way in making those improvements in a way that I don't want to say is better or worse been focused on the results, mm -hmm. but I think maybe healthier in a way that we're focused on the process and on the person mm -hmm. and helping them grow. Because what I want them to do is after they graduate, you know, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, they come back to campus because I'm still here and they've got their kids that they bring with them. Right. Or the first indoor track meet, we've got a hundred alumni that come back because they're just super excited. So you know, when, when Larry, my coach, got inducted into the Hall of Fame this year, I went to the Hall of Fame ceremony, and there were probably 20, 25 guys that all ran for Larry that came back for the ceremony. And afterwards, we were all just sitting in the office. They were looking at the record board, and we're just reliving, like, our glory days, so to speak, <laughs> talking about some of the stupid stuff that they did while they were in college or you know, one of the guys, his daughters didn't believe that he was really fast and his name was on the record board. So we brought him in to show her the record board. But just that's been probably the most fun part is the things that I've missed out on for the past 25 years since I graduated. Mm. I've made some of those connections back. I've got a chance to talk to old classmates that have been on campus or, you know, I've got some friends. My roommate has one of my senior roommate. His son is a sophomore here. One of the guys I played soccer with his son is a sophomore here. So being able to kind of make those connections, you don't realize how important they were yeah. until you make them again. Yeah. So that, that, that has been really, really fun. And, you know, it, it's every day, it's been not a perfect day, uh, <laughs> but it, it's, I, I've, I love what I do obviously. Um, and I wouldn't have done it for this long because obviously it's not for the pay. Um, now we'll have to get you in touch with my athletic director for that. <laughs> we need right. to get paid more. That's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> um, but I truly think like it, it was the right time and it was the right place uh, to be able to come back to my alma mater and build a program uh, into something that I think everybody that's part of is going to be proud of in whatever they're trying to accomplish. You know, we believe here at Gill that healthy things grow and, you know, Bill, through your story, 
through your journey, I heard a lot of growth through, you know, your initial head coaching job, the different positions you took. Uh, I see now with Heidelberg growing with a new facility, uh, the team growing, your staff growing. I mean, you know, see that kind of support for administration is important. If you're not growing, you're 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 going backwards. Stagn stagnation is going right. backwards in today's right. world. So uh, it's just so cool to see that and to see your, you know, you've told your journey and you told some really fun stories from your past. Uh, but your face lit up a little bit around now about what's going on at Heidelberg now. And when you were talking about, you know, um, some of your former classmates, kids being on the, on the mm -hmm. other teams and talking about the facility and recruiting, uh, your face just lit up a little, yeah. little differently. You're really, <laughs> you're a forward looking per, you're not a looking in the past kind of guy. You're a forward looking guy. And I, I can tell you're really looking forward to 2024, 25, 26, 27, yeah. uh, in the future after that. So that's really cool. I'm going to, uh, it's going to be a blast to be able to kind of watch from the sidelines and see the team grow under your leadership and the the coaching staff's leadership there because it's uh there's kind of no doubt it's going to happen i mean you're you've got a really great process over results philosophy that i think ends up being more uh results positive than people give it credit for awesome yeah it it, it has been it's been kind of refreshing i guess yeah. so to speak at this point being able to come back and be part of what what we're trying to do and you know just being back home That's it feels cool. like home more than anything well, you deserve it, my friend. So I love hearing that. That's so, so awesome. Uh, Bill, thank you so much. You know, um, the most expensive, highest quality thing you could ever give me is your time. And, you know, I always tell people, you know, my mantra is this is not an easy podcast to listen to. You know, our average is an hour and 40. We're at the two uh, hour mark, by the way. Uh, but it is, yeah, exactly. Uh, but it is also hard to record. Yeah, You know, Bill's got to give me time here. And like here, he's a little bit busy. Uh, so Bill, thank you so much, man. I'm really grateful for your time today. Um, I, my hope is always that this goes by fast. And it seems like when I told you it was two hours, you're like, holy crap, that was fast. Uh, yeah. That it's, it's it's done that, you know, we get to share a lot of fun stories from your past and some connections. We were in the same class, didn't even know. He probably cheated off of my notes, by the way, now that I think about it in that class. Probably. State. Yeah, probably, probably. Um, but really just so thankful for you, Bill. We're excited to see uh, the, the future continue to grow with you at, at the helm there. And uh, just excited and grateful that you join us here today on the Gill Connections podcast. Thanks for having me, Mike. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. And there we had an audio glitch right at the very end. So that's okay. That's what, if it's going to happen, happen at the very end. Uh, thank you for being here and listening again, as we uh, continue uh, here with season five here in 2024, uh, we're going to continue bringing up uh, some amazing people like Bill here. This was a fun and fascinating journey. Uh, he, uh, he doesn't know it, but he plugged what we just did. So back in January, we had the Baylor 4x4 podcast. He brought up Baylor. I love that he did that. It's just natural. So I hope you checked out that series and check out uh, here coming soon in April and May. We'll have a bonus episode every day. We're going to do every high school state. So Alabama through Wyoming, we're going to have a high school coach come on and, and talk to us and teach us how they qualify for the outdoor state meet. Trust me, you're not going to want to miss that. It is super interesting what we're doing amongst the different states. It's wild out there, wild, wild west time out there, and you get to learn and have conversation around that. So thank you for being here today. Join us next week. We'll do it all over again as we uh, invite another amazing coach here to uplift and honor on the Gill Track and Field Connections podcast. See you, everybody. Those who appreciate the coach, the ones who point people most.
Every season needs a voice of reason Speaking the growth you Got a bet for you carry the load It's coffee to the soul For those of us who stay on the go Pop a hand off and stay in the zone What you packing for the road There's more than one way to the go Take notes, that's paying your toll It ain't practice if your purpose ain't clear It can't happen till you listen with both ears You can't mentor without a mentor Years of experience You can reinvent those years Every plan's got a standard to live up to And the price sacrifice Can you give up you? It's a choice and a fight not a win or lose It's not a ploy but advice so y'all can make more moves It's not about how to, it's all about why You don't know till you know who you are inside Six million ways to tie, choose none So we all cross the finish line, the work ain't done So we learn from the experts We all gotta put in the legwork Guild Athletics is a network It's all about connections Put together for the profession To so every track coach could be a blessing